All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. I'm sure somebody will say this is creepy, but like I would love to have a set of cameras in my living room and watch my kid grow up again, right? I'd love to sit with him when he's 10, he or she is 10, uh, and place a memory on the coffee table and watch that memory with them. I think that would be killer. It's the same kind of thing as watching a home video of their first steps, but you get to relive the entire environment, everything that was happening. What's cooking, everybody? If you are on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button, hit the like button on the video, and thank you for checking out the channel. To all of you listening on Apple or Spotify, if you're not already subscribed, hit that subscribe button, and thank you for checking out the show there. Now, if you haven't used the link in my description, along with the code TRENDIFIER at checkout to get $100 off either the 8 Sleep Pod Pro mattress or 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover, Check it out. I always focus on the cover because the cover is half the price. It comes in queen or king sizes, goes right on top of your current mattress, and it's what I use and does all the same things. So with the 8Sleep Pod Pro cover, you're going to get access to 8Sleep's proprietary technology via their app and via the actual cover itself, which will optimize your sleep around you throughout the night to make sure that you are as well-rested as you ever have been in your life. So what 8Sleep does is it measures things like your REM and your body temperature and what are called your sleep stages throughout the night so that all those times where you'll be getting light sleep and not realizing it because your body's reacting to certain things in its environment, that's not going to happen anymore. And so you're going to wake up in the morning. You may look at the clock and it'll say you slept six hours, but you're going to feel like you slept eight. So use that link in my description along with the code Trendifier at checkout. That's T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R. And you will get $100 off either the full-blown 8 Sleep Pod Pro mattress or the 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover. You won't regret it. Check it out. Anyway, I did the intro a little bit differently this week, out of order. Usually I start with talking about the episode and then get to the first two things I led with right there, but there's a reason for that. So first of all, I am joined in the bunker today by my very good friend, Mr. Anthony Fenu, and I saved this part for last because this marks a year into this podcast. Today, the episode is coming out on September 15th. 2021 and we started this podcast on September 15th 2020 so that's I'm recording this intro a day before so that's tomorrow but what a wild ride it has been crazy building this thing it's it's obviously hard like anything else in life anything worth doing is hard but it's so much fun man and and to see all you guys come in and believe in this show so early on is it's one of the most gratifying things in the world so I'm doing my best to continue to build this out into a better and better show and to see where everything is compared to starting on zero like it did is is a pretty amazing, amazing thing. We're, we're nowhere near where we need to be, but 
the early work has been incredibly, incredibly rewarding, and I can see that it's 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 getting there. It's it's on its way. So we're we're gonna keep it rolling. But I'm really grateful that this this has gone on like this and and continues to progress as it does. And I'm, I'm grateful for all of you who have made that possible. So thank you. The reason I brought in Anthony for this episode is because Anthony's first time here was number 30 and I'll be frank that was before this thing had an audience I had maybe like 100 listeners an episode back then and now there's a lot more so a lot of people a lot of you probably aren't familiar with him and his episode was a big turning point episode for me because it was a it was a complicated subject matter with someone I didn't know when he walked in here and we really were able to bring it to the people in in a very digestible way and I think a, a pretty entertaining way which, which was which was cool. So it also developed a really good friendship between Anthony and I and also that extended to his team. I'm very close with with Riley and and Justin who were here for numbers 50 and 58, his co-founders, Giovanni who was here for number 34 who's also when he came in wasn't a part of Sore yet, but was introduced to me by Anthony. John Rondi, Johnny Drinks is another guy I met through Anthony. Chaz Servino has been doing a lot of work like on the side with a bunch of us working on some things around Source. So it, it's just very, very, very cool to see how this is all kind of tied together back to the podcast. But for those of you that aren't familiar with Anthony, and maybe if you didn't hear numbers 50 and 58, Soar, the company that Anthony is a co-founder with Riley and, and Baker on that he is the CEO of, is that they're a hologram company. They live stream holograms because they own the number one and only of its kind fastest compression algorithm to be able to do that in the world, which sounds crazy because it is. And so this is something like holograms are something we think about in movies that started being talked about as much as 40, 50 years ago, but it's like, it's never been here. It's the future, right? Well, now it's kind of here. So the last time Anthony was here, I found out about a lot of it on the show. I went in pretty eyes wide shut. So it was pretty cool to like be like, what? You're doing what? Oh my God. Like whatever. What our goal was that time though was we were trying to keep it very simple and we were trying to make it all digestible. This time I wanted to get really meta. No pun intended because we talked a lot about the metaverse. But I wanted to get really deep and – ask complicated questions that would break my brain. And so a couple times I did. And if, if you've been curious about that term, the metaverse and some of the things around that, because it's just this buzzword people are throwing around. It is, it, it is a very legit term, despite some of the people who are throwing it around like a $2 word. And it is something that we're talking about creating like a new world. And this guy is at the forefront of it because what he's doing I don't want to like tie my tongue here because we'll talk about it in this episode. But what he's doing is directly related to building that. And so we got deep into that. We also got deep into his vision. And so the second half of the episode went into a lot of that and asked some hard questions. There's a lot of things that can happen with tech like this that is tough to think about. And I can't imagine being in his shoes. And I asked him about it on here. We also talked a lot for the first time publicly about some of his investors and some of the guys on his team as far as like, well, they're also investors too, but guys who are like advisors who are, who are some big names. I think he mentioned for the first time publicly that Elton John is one of the people, his family office is invested in SOAR and there might've been a few others, I forget, but he went public with some of that stuff today, which was cool. But 
Love this combo. It, it made all the sense in the world to bring him in for the one year, just symbolically. I thought it was really cool. And I like the idea, as I've said in the intros to Baker's episode and, and Riley's episode, I like the idea of getting these guys along the pathway to, to greatness and, and doing these things. You know, a lot can go wrong. It, there's no guarantees in life. There's no guarantees that they wouldn't screw this up. But I'm betting on these guys because I like them a lot. I've seen them work. And it's a fact that they have the tech that no one else has right now. And that's it's pretty fucking unbelievable. So thank you to Anthony for coming in. A quick note. We do have like the first 10, 15 minutes. You'll hear that goddamn lawnmower a little bit. We waited like an hour to start. I swear to God, these guys troll me. But right when he came in here on cue at a time they usually don't come. There were like 20 industrial lawnmowers right outside the studio. They were like riding up the street. I've never seen anything like it. So finally, I got sick of it. I'm like, fuck it. We're starting. So we did. But that goes away within like 10, 15 minutes, and it's a little bit in the background. And then there was also a video I was looking for in there that I couldn't find, so we didn't show it. But I don't know if you saw Jeff Bezos when he got back from that space trip and he did that evil laugh. It's terrible. But I couldn't find it. When we get to that part, if you just want to Google that, if you haven't heard it, it's pretty wild. So other than that, I don't think I have any other notes. So I'll just finish by saying thank you once again to all of you for a year. And it's going to be another 100 years after this, hopefully. So let's we're just getting started. Let's keep this thing well. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trend of Fire. Let's go. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. So I hear that right now, Baker is sitting at home on the front porch right there with a 12-gauge shotgun. And the word on the street is that he is now also doubling as the armed security for what has become a high-crime neighborhood over there. Yeah, yeah, apparently we're in a... <laughs> Just absolute chaotic times. So, um, w- what's been going on? You guys, you guys have been getting your house like, hit. It's like the purge. Yeah, yeah. No rules, no rules whatsoever since COVID. Now, uh, so we had a new neighbor, somewhat high profile neighbor, I guess. Yeah, or we'll at least it, we'll keep his name out of it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, not trying to dox anybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, including myself. Um, not that anybody's like out to get me, but. I don't think they're out to get him either. It's just like somebody that is a public figure of sorts. Um, yeah, it, it attracts some level of uh, people trying to rob you. Yeah, yeah. Robbery, intrigue. I don't know. It, it could be a combination. Maybe it's like, what's going on? What, yeah. what is he? Uh, who, who knows? But What happened in the first one? The second one I talked about with you, but the first one was like a week ago or something like that. There's some dudes that rolled up and they were trying to break into your house because they thought it was his. I, to, to be honest, I have no idea. We just saw a couple guys in ski masks come running up the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking Riley's in the garage sitting in his car. All the lights are off because like when you pull into the garage, it's got that like auto light. So the light turns off if you're if there's no movement in like I don't know two three minutes something like that. So the light goes off. He's still sitting in his car, probably sitting on his phone answering texts or whatever. And fucking couple guys come running up the driveway. Jesus Christ! Blacked out, ski mask, yeah, chaos. And uh, he saw him 
turns the car on, starts flashing his high beams. They book it the other way. And he fucking pulls out of the driveway, starts chasing him. <laughs> I'm in the backyard, um, like near the grill. So if you if you like lean over, you can kind of see. And I didn't see the guys, but I see him peel the fuck out. And I just texted him like, "Hey, you home?" I saw him. I saw his lights as he like backed in. Cut. He cuts the lights off to be like courteous to the neighbors. So like midway through backing into the the garage, he'll just like cut the lights. So I see him back in. I say, "Hey, you home?" Uh, kind of caught the light. Wasn't too sure. Um, and then I just see him peel out. Doesn't answer the text. Um, and apparently, so what he was saying was those two guys ran to a car that was parked in the street. And, like, we live on a dead end, so uh, they must have went down to the cul-de-sac, turned around, and were sitting, like, ready to book it. And the guy in the driver's seat was also blacked out, ski mask, whatever. So they were, like, they knew how to yeah. get out. Because anybody else, like, the street curves. So you would have no idea that you couldn't go out that way. And, like, logically, you should be able to go out that way. They just never connected it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know why, but... Um, but that was just the first one. Yeah, that was the first one. So, Riley chases these fucking guys. Well, how, how long did he chase them for? I, it sounded like he just chased them out in the neighborhood, but he was, he was yeah, going yeah. after them? Uh, maybe, like, five minutes or so. <laughs> Dude, they, were, they were doing, like, a buck ten down side roads. And then there's, there's this big curve uh, near the golf course... And I guess they hit that curve at, like, over 100. Holy shit. And uh, he, Riley's pretty ballsy. Clearly. So am I. Yeah. I'm not hitting that curve at 100. I'm going into the golf course. That's happening. Yeah. So they took it, and he slowed down. He was like, oh, I'm not going to die tonight. And then, like, I guess by the time he made that curve, not long, they were, like, they were pulling away a good bit. So these so, guys are absolute pros. No question about it. Yeah, I mean, they were dumb luck, I guess, yeah. but uh, I'm going to say probably the former. So then that was wild. when that storm was happening a few days ago where yeah. and then a fucking tornado was happening, which was like, by the way, that was less than a mile away from here, which is crazy because we didn't yeah. feel a thing. I was sitting here wondering if my electricity is going to go out. I'm like, oh, what the fuck? You know, and then people are texting me like, bro, are you OK? I'm like, about what? And then I take a look. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it was a full-blown tornado. But that whole storm was all over South Jersey, and you were getting hit with it there. And these yeah. guys tried to hit you in the middle of that whole thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I missed the tornado because I thought I was in the middle of an armed robbery. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no. they. So I, I don't know what – I don't know what happened, right? But um, they were – so I, I must have had something dropped off. Right. And mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting anything. Um, so this is it, it took me like a day and a half to figure this out. So they dropped something off. It must have fell like off the side of the steps in the front. Um, and I didn't see it. Our. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't talk about the security system at the house too much. But <laughs> <laughs> let's not give away all the Call secret codes there. Here, but, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, I, I, I didn't see where that was, right? So had no idea that something got dropped off. I just see this person run away and then like must have saw me or something get scared and booked it, right? So he was got trying to hit your house again? With a PA plate. Well, so 
Turns out, maybe he was just delivering something. I wasn't expecting anything. Uh, and the delivery was not in any of our names. It was in our yeah. new neighbor's name. So I'm going to say somewhere they have our address as his address, um, which is mildly concerning. Because if you are trying to find him for picking a good house to rob because there might be valuable items in there, uh, he's a... He's a target, which I guess means we're a target now. Yeah, it's not like you yeah. guys got nothing in there. No, no. You know, I, that's the other thing. Yeah. Someone's going to walk in there and be like, well, shit, we're at the wrong house, but we hit a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff might be heavy, but like <laughs> <laughs> we got expensive computer. There's all kinds of stuff, right? So I would just yeah. pay to see them walk in, and there's no one. I'm, I, I'm sorry to pick on him, but no one but Baker there, and he just has to look at him like, take the fucking computers. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave. You want me to help you carry him out? <laughs> yeah. This one's a little heavy. That's scary, though, man. It's yeah. and it's like obviously without going into who it is, it's really a shame too because it's not it's not tied to anything he does or anything like that. It's just people being assholes trying to like come hit somebody who's got some money. Yeah, no, I I think it's just like again anybody that's a a public figure, there's a little bit more risk there, and then um, public figure with known dollar amounts, things like that. Or yeah. estimated, like yeah, you're gonna you're gonna figure it out. Yeah, so, it's sad, but it's how it is. One thing that we love, it's like a little bit off radar, you know. Um, yeah, we've we've done our best at not being in the spotlight when it wasn't necessary. Um, not for that reason specifically. I mean, there's like a handful of them, but uh, that's one thing that you don't think about. Even like influencers. Um, large influencers are, I would imagine, at, at uh, increased risk. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, not to mention somebody like Jake Paul, Logan Paul. Yeah, that's why he has like an armory in his house. Yeah, yeah. You, you know? literally need it. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's th there is no privacy in a lot of ways in today's world. I mean, the people whose addresses you can find, it's crazy. You know, I don't yeah. even know if you can scrub that from the internet. I'm sure you can. I know some people do, but there's like a lot of different loops you got to go through and hoops you got to go through to do that because there's so many different sources. There's, yep. you know, at, at my job, one of my things was I had to know everything about everyone because I was out there trying to get business and things. And so yep. I was, I got very good at using Google. It was kind of weird, but like I could find anything on anybody. And I would be amazed yeah. at, like, you just kind of tie this keyword to that keyword. You find this little tidbit here. You tie that back to their name, and boom. I mean, you are – the internet is just this wild place that has all the information there. It's it's there to be found. So it's scary. But, you know, you guys have, have managed to stay out of the spotlight and everything. But that's, you know, that, that's probably coming to an end here. As, yeah. I don't know if it's, like, the next six months, but it's it's pretty soon. So you might want to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, working on it. Um, starting to get more and more pressure to do things like that, and and if not, I mean, there's like clear benefits to being somewhat known. Um, yes. Obviously, like we're pretty well known in the communities that we either sure. sell into, sure. yeah. work in, etc. But like that's much different than general public. Uh, general public, it's like uh, it's got its benefits, but it's also has its downsides so yeah and and by the way as a note for people anthony and i sat here and waited an hour to start 
and you still hear some lawnmowers in the background like a little bit it was far enough that i could start now that should be ending any minute they these guys would not fucking stop they were like trolling me literally like every single house got hit with a lawnmower at once there's like 12 big industrial lawnmowers riding down the street so i was finally like all right let's start but chaos yeah sorry about that anyway but yeah i mean last time you were here it was you were looking at starting to go to market with let's say like some big names and then some some bigger companies i think you were able to talk about a couple of them but i don't want to say in case i'm misremembering some of that but i gotta tell you man i'm sitting there watching the jake paul woodley fight and i got pissed off I got really pissed at you because yep. fucking Jake Paul comes out with an LED banner on his on his trunks and I can't get him in a hologram form. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah, I know. It's it's been it's been tricky early on uh, with the, the fights that we originally wanted to do. Um, and we're talking to those guys about um, I think there was there was so much in flux, even just in that space. Right. Like um, when we talked about the Logan Floyd fight, they went back and forth. And and on Logan's side, it was a lot of like, I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm waiting. This is Floyd's game. He's going to tell me when he's ready to go. When he's ready to go, I have to be ready to go. It might not happen. It might happen. Um, Even if he goes and says publicly, I'm doing this fight, there's a chance he decides not to. Sure, that's yeah. just how it works, and it's it's a little bit crazy. And then from working with uh, that team uh, as well, uh, Logan's on Floyd's side too. Uh, that's just how they work. Um, everything's dictated by them. They control process. They control everything. So um, if he's ready to go, they go. Uh, when they were ready to go, we were not ready to go that quickly. And I don't know if you remember, but uh, both of those were. Very fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And it was like lingering. You knew something was hopefully going to happen. Um, but then 30 to 45 days, flip a switch. Okay, this is the date. This is where we're doing the fight. Let's pull everything together. Uh, that's one downside uh, of being at the size we are today. We can't necessarily flip that switch. It's a lot. Um, it's yeah, a, yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces in what you do, and obviously I'm kidding yeah. around with you, but still, no, yeah, like selfishly, I do want to see it because I know you can pull it off. It's just you have to. You went over some of it last time, but the detail you have to have to actually get it right, which is how you want to do it. You want to make yeah. sure people are getting; they're not getting some lagged bullshit experience. They're getting the full thing. The detail is down to the ground, literally. Yeah. Like, okay, you know, it's easier in boxing than, say, in, in MMA, but even in boxing, like, when they come in and they're, and they're hugging tight and everything, you got to be able to capture that whole thing yeah. in real time and make sure that, you know, it's not like those old Madden glitches where, like, an arm's coming out the side or something yep. like that. So it's, I would imagine, and I don't know timelines, but you need to have, obviously, a full team of people do it, running that full-time, and you need to probably have that set up, including full understandings of th- having the full understanding of both fight camps, but also anyone involved in the production there of what's going to need to happen for this to happen. I mean, that's got to be a 90-day, 120-day full-time process in my head. I- am I wrong? Um yeah, I mean, obviously, like, those timelines are meant to be broken, and I tend to be a little bit on the aggressive side there, um, which is good and bad. But, um, yeah, I, I think you need 
Well, the the one thing that we noticed too, right, with um, with limited resources, and I'll not like um, don't have enough resources. It's more like can't get them fast enough, right? Mm. So uh, if you want to scale that team, so when we look at like large scale capture, like boxing, something like that, it's it's a much more different uh, environment. Uh, capture the the same core is there, but you have to do things a little bit differently than like just throwing an artist, a music artist, in the middle. Oh, of, sure, right. Yeah. So the team that's working on that, if you pull them away, we've seen great uh, momentum inside music, entertainment, etc. So you pull them away to do something that is a little bit theoretical on a fight that's a little bit far out, something like that. Um, you're losing valuable time so the answer to that obviously is add a bunch of hands build a dedicated team just for that that's something that we're working on now but uh, easier said than done uh building the team to where we got it today uh was difficult um we have a really strong team um and now it needs to be uh repeatable like rapidly well that that's another important question too because money is the lifeblood of creating resources obviously And so you guys have managed to build the whole – I mean you built it soup to nuts and built the product and, and have it ready to go keeping your core team. So you got yeah. – you obviously have a lot of consultants, but on like the full-time side, you have your founding team and then you have a solid team of engineers. But it's not like 100 people right now. No. So to go to the next level of 100 people, which can happen overnight, it's going to be when you decide to do a Series A, which you guys have held off on doing. I don't know if it's like – happening now or like something moving forward but i know that's not something you can actually confirm or deny publicly so i'm not going to ask you when but in your head i guess the question is are you thinking about it a lot like it's kind of like you're playing with house money and the minute you flip that switch then that problem the resource problem you talk about is taken care of and you can say do three projects at once because now you basically have heads I mean, you can, but there's there's also like the the speed and expectation thing too, right? So you go out and you raise twenty million dollars. There's an expectation that you're going to deploy the capital quickly. Yes, uh, over a twelve to eighteen month period, right? Um, sometimes that money goes even faster. You're uh, also burning whatever you have coming in. Uh, maybe you're extending runway. It's like you can pull those levers, but uh, ultimately they want to see the money get put to work, right? So the day you take that uh, check, we'll just call it a check, um, <laughs> your expectations go through the moon. Sure. Right? sure. So there's now a ton of external pressure. The smart thing might be, might be to focus on building infrastructure a little bit before you pour gas on the fire. What do you mean by infrastructure, just to um, be clear? Well, so we saw this on the sales side, right? Like we're really small on the sales and business development side. It's yeah. like a couple of people. Um, you also, we know it intimately, right? So, but you also don't have like your pipeline purposely. It's not like other companies, you know what I mean? Like you're not selling, you're not selling a phone, for example, which is still like an investment, but like you're selling like a huge investment for an enormous, very exclusive client. You know what I mean? So in some ways I almost think, yes, you want to, you're going to increase that no doubt, but like. Is that really holding you back right now? Um, 
is the sales side holding us yeah. back? Yeah, like not having more than two or three heads really handling that? Well, it, it yeah, I mean, it holds back how fast you can get deals closed. Um, yeah, and obviously the, the push is to keep exponential growth. Um, that's what you're looking for. But I, I think it's more, so what I was talking about on like the infrastructure side is a lot of like sales playbook or things like that that need mm. refining. How do I hire somebody and day one make them effective? Obviously not day one, but theoretically. Um, right now, we all know it intimately. So anybody who's selling it has been doing it for a long time. Um, some of that has been translated. Some of it hasn't. I think that needs to be refined a little bit before you just go to flip that switch. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to burn a bunch of dry money. So yeah. the first 30 to 60 days, you're going to ramp that burn up crazy. And what's going to happen? You might not have the results. Yeah. Um, the, I think too often the understanding is like, spend a dollar, make a dollar, spend two, make four, spend, you know what I mean? And like y y the quicker you spend money, the more you're going to make uh, faster. Um, true if everything is laid uh, laid out and, and ready to go. So we did a little bit of that. And then on the other side, to, to be honest, like because the team is pretty small, we've held off because we, we haven't needed to do it. Um, and... I want to make sure that we're not pulling focus when it is only a handful of people on sales and we're doing really well. So it, there's a couple of things to balance there, right? Like you want to grow as fast as you can. You want to pour gas in the fire when it's working. You also don't want to pull people away for a long diligence process while you're in the middle of like large customer deployments and all kinds of stuff when the team is really small. The bigger you get, the easier it becomes to to not have that be a huge distraction. But um, yeah, so th that's part of why we've waited. And we've been super transparent with uh, anybody who reaches out. Um, we've talked to a bunch of firms that we've known uh, for a while. Um, some who have just reached out to us, uh, love the space, love what we're up to, got connected to us through, uh, some of our customers, things like that. Um, and the conversation has been, uh, pretty, pretty blunt and honest. It's, we're doing really well. We don't necessarily need to do it immediately. Uh, we would like to do it. We know we're going to, uh, I think we're, we're really close to doing it now, um, because we have a lot of that infrastructure built. Uh, and things are a little bit more stable, but didn't want to dive into a 90 day or 60, 90 day diligence process and pull uh, a bunch of focus away while our ARR was uh, being driven up pretty good. Yeah. And so when you're talking about diligence, just to be clear on that, when you are going in to do like a, like a big time raise, like series A, series B, stuff like that, obviously these firms and even high powered individuals, family offices, whatever it may be they're going to run through every single thing you got going so they can run all their numbers and make projections and yep. it's all it's it's a money thing but when that's happening i guess your point is that guys like you running the company really like the founding team even like including in some ways baker who's the cto like that's not even part of his job you automatically are getting pulled into that process and that's taken away from everything else you can do yeah. and since you don't have that hundred person team right now that's actually a problem and it's this opportunity cost trade-off yeah yeah and i think um the so a diligence process can be like kind of anything Right, like super early stage, you don't have that much. It might just be like your formation docs and like 
light projections on what you think you're going to do um, or how impactful you think you can be, how large the market actually is. Um, you might just be looking for like, is there potential for this to be a billion dollars plus um, or do a billion dollars plus of revenue or whatever, right? Um, and then as you get uh, older and older or further in your company life cycle, uh, there becomes more. You have historical financials, you have uh, legal docs, you might have previous financings, you might have uh, all kinds of stuff, right? So uh, board structures, voting uh, structures, advisory share types, like there's this whole list of things that they want to dig through. Um, and the more complex it gets, the longer it takes, the more questions come up. Um I mean, in general, everything's like pretty clean. You can put everything into a data room, keep it organized. There's ways to like reduce how much of a headache it is, but there's always going to be some level of like uh, back and forth that you want there to be. Otherwise, like they're probably not doing uh, heavy diligence, right? Um, everybody's a little bit different. I've gone through super light processes and uh, really heavy processes. Um, but the common denominator is it becomes a distraction if it takes too long. Um, my thing from the beginning has been, uh, when I look at financing, it's like, I want to get in, get out. I know it's something that we need to do to accelerate, to ramp, whatever. Um, but I don't want to be distracted by it 24 seven. We have a business to run. Do you think that a lot of these partners, the partners, the Let's just say that – let's keep it general just to make it easy. Like the VCs reaching out, do you think that with your company, there's also a lot more – I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to use it. A lot more patience and like, hey, yeah, we're, we're willing to wait on it. Wait when you want to do it more on your terms strictly because they know that you have the tech within the hologram space that no one does. Or do are, are a lot of them still thinking – Fuck it. We'll just go. We'll fund somebody else, and they'll be able to. They'll be able to replicate the technology soon enough. So I I haven't seen much of that. Obviously, there are other companies that are raising money in the space. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think for the most part, um, at least with us, it's it's a lot of relationships, right? So like, um, I've known partners at firms for a couple of years right? Before um, getting to this point. So uh, there's a level of comfortability there. Um, and even for uh, folks that are new, uh, it's coming through some sort of relationship. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think anybody's like jumping to go finance somebody else. It's like, we're watching, we're tracking. Uh, some people just want to stay in front of you, uh, which I appreciate. Um, as long as it's not overboard. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think everybody's been super understanding. And, and at the end of the day, what's the most important thing? It's customers, uh, whether that's like the revenue coming from it, how happy they are, um, making sure that you're not dropping the ball on anything that they need. Uh, that's the, the lifeblood there. I think it's also a battle of how difficult the initial sale is for you. And that's why I'm at least... I understand 
I'll say, why you led with in, in the start of this conversation the point of figuring out the balance of adding more bodies to sales. And I still wanted to ask about the resources just because of the low number of clients, but I, I had a feeling I knew where you were going to go with that, and, and you did. Because when you say, like, hologram, and for people that are listening right now and aren't familiar with Soar, Anthony's been on this podcast. He was number 30. And then the other two co-founders, Riley, who's the CSO, and Baker, who's the CTO, were on here for number 50 and I believe it was 58 a piece. Yeah. So there's been some talk on that. The other two, we talked less about the company, but you guys obviously create live streamed holograms, which when you say that out loud for the first time, it's it's simple in the sense that holograms haven't really been a thing. But we've concepted in sci-fi for a long time the idea that you can make someone 3D and have them talk right there. Easy enough. Once you start to then point out to how you are going to get society to understand this right away, like the average person, the average consumer, and bring that into people's lives and just overnight make it a thing that they need, like the iPhone did and stuff like that, getting to that point is very, very difficult because all these other companies – you know, who you're talking with and even guys who become clients, it's like, okay, we get it, but are we going to understand how to get it to people? Because I talked about this with Riley, I know, at least extensively. I don't know how much you and I talked about it, but right now, because you guys are the software side, you're creating the roadmap for it. We don't have a hardware company yet or one that's at least prominent that has created the TV for what you're going to do, whereby, yep. you know, I can buy something right now and them using your software, I can put it in, in the middle of my table and have it right here. So as of this moment, the way that the common way that people would be interacting with your tech is I would whip out my phone and I would have to look at it through my phone and it would be like it's right here, but I have to hold up this, this physical object. So yeah. without getting into when we're going to get there on the hardware, we can talk about that later, but getting people like the consumer to understand the value of that is difficult and so you don't you're not just selling and it's like anything else to be honest but you're not just selling i don't know spotify or someone crazy like that some big company you're not just selling them on like hey look what we can do for you we're you're selling them on here's why and how we can get it to your people and make it so that the person can log into spotify like it's another day and it's it's something simple that they just inherently understand yep yeah, so so we were actually just talking about this the other day, but there's there's kind of two pieces to any sale for us at least, right? Um, well, so actually, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Um, there's kind of like two big buckets, two overarching buckets that we look at. One of them is people who are already using uh, similar tech or already in the medium, uh, but solutions are super expensive, hard to use, whatever, right? And it's not live. Correct. Yeah. Nobody is uh, real time. Um, so that bucket is really straightforward. It's like y you're spending a million dollars plus on just hardware, 300K plus on software per year. This is 15 to 25K in hardware on the high end. 25K is like overkill. Um, and then 10K a month or 100, 100K on the year for software mm -hmm. uh, for an enterprise company. Uh, and it, it scales down for smaller creators, right? But like if I'm spending a million dollars on hardware, going to 15K is killer, 
Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Same thing on software. If I'm spending 300K plus per year, going to 100K is big. No-brainer. Um, so that bucket's easy. The next bucket is people who aren't using it. And then it's a two-part sell, mm. right? The first part is this is why you should be looking at the space. If you know nothing about it, this is what the tech is. It's volumetric video. It's holograms. It's This is why it's impactful. Uh, we see the world moving to spatial. We think uh, glasses will be the main compute device in the next couple of years, right? Like these are the core reasons uh, or, or the things that provide this bigger picture for us. This is the key insight that we have that we want to share. Um, now that you know, A, we've validated that we're an expert in the space. Um, this is what we're seeing. This is why you should be taking a look at it. The next part is, okay, we've established what the medium is, why it's so impactful, why you should be using this kind of tech. Now, this is why there's really nobody else that you should be looking at. So two parts there. The first part, uh, I absolutely love because that's like sharing vision, yeah. sharing the insight that I have, things that um, I'm seeing happen in the world and our team is seeing happen in the world, um, where we think things are going. The second part, uh, again, once you've gotten down to that point and somebody understands what the tech is, how it's so impactful to them, um, then it becomes fairly straightforward. It's like one-to-one -one comparison uh, type of conversation. How much closer do you think we are to adoption, though, now? Like, I mean, the button getting hit and suddenly it's just everywhere, as opposed to last time you were in here at the beginning of the year? Uh, on the hardware side? Wait, what do you mean hardware side? Ad adoption of what? Adoption the, the of adoption, the medium? Yeah, the adoption of, of okay. the actual, of the idea itself. Well, so, I mean, we're much further along. Um, adoption of the medium is coming along so that the, uh, and by medium, do you mean, in, are you referring to the hardware? Or are you referring to holograms themselves? Uh, the type of media. So hologram as, as a whole. Yeah. 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 Vo volumetric video, hologram, however it's being viewed, manipulable content. Yes. Um, right. I, I think there's been a significant, um, amount of, of movement in that space. Uh, a lot more people playing with the tech, a lot more people capturing things. We're starting to learn what we can do with it, where our limitations are, uh, especially on like, uh, content creation side. Well, and I don't want to turn the conversation completely into something else. I just want to wrap it into this because yeah. I, I feel like it's probably a good time to bring it up but when you were here last that was right when this whole nft craze yeah. actually entered the mainstream and so we talked about it when riley was in here but we've been doing some work on that which has been pretty cool and i think we're going to be able to bring a couple of those things public soon which is exciting but that whole thing was this mad rush that had a whole bunch of other aspects to it like it's it started with just pure 2d art and it's still there in a lot of ways but you've seen all these other bit pieces arise out of it you see something like these horse stables and stuff where you can buy you know yeah. a horse 
in the metaverse, which is why I'm bringing this up, and people are buying real estate in the metaverse, and they're being tagged as NFTs in a lot of cases. But outside of just the buzzword of NFTs and what that all means, and we could talk about that too, but I'm more concerned with that, the the capturing of that term in everyone's fascination, which is metaverse. Because when we first talked, even before you came in here, you were talking about something along the lines of we're, we're building, we're building the metaverse, right? And you weren't looking at it from like, oh, it's just NFTs or something like that. You were looking at it like straight out of sci-fi movie shit, like yeah. the matrix almost. We're building a new world that people will interact with each other in. And it's not this, it's not the physical world. And then a few weeks ago, and this is obviously fast forward way farther from our last conversation, but a few weeks ago, you even saw the emoji metaverse that I think Zuckerberg demonstrated for Gail King and, and CBS, where he was sitting in a room with her as an emoji. She was sitting in the room as an emoji, and they were having a conversation, and it was this other world. And so people are starting to look at this now, and it's still very confusing because a bunch of people – still aren't familiar with the term, number one. Number two, people who are, they don't know what the fuck it is. And number three, people who know what it is are still like, but wh what's the difference? Like if I'm buying a horse as an NFT, is that is that a different world from like this world that we're going to create where our content is all there and we're actually going to school and doing things in it and we're not leaving our homes? So I'm kind of throwing it all spaghetti at the wall right now on purpose. Yeah. But for you today, talking about your metaverse as you see it, a, how would you define it for people? And B, what is your exact role in it? And does it have anything to do with NFTs and stuff like that? Yeah, so I, I think the biggest thing for me is like it it acts as a digital layer, a carbon copy, but a digital layer on top of the physical world. Mm. And then that digital layer can be altered. Um, you can make it interact uh, between worlds, so to speak, right? So I, I, I say a lot like, the uh, convergence of digital and physical. That's that's what I mean. So like there is a 3D uh, map of the world that is interactive. Um, a 3D map then becomes uh, a layer or a world of its own. Um, if I am uh, using like the, the most bare bones example, um, quite literally scanning and capturing the world in 3D so that there is now a 3D layer of everything. Um, it's uh, – it, it kind of evolves from there, right? So It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess talking about the what role do we play in that, um, A, uh, the thing that's so exciting to me is uh, – our core uh, is a, a pipeline for moving uh, volumetric or, or 3D data in real time, right? So what do you need to connect those layers, connect those worlds? You need a, a really good pipe. Um, so that is super exciting to me and seeing how we can evolve uh, our compression distribution uh, pipeline. Uh, Simplest form, we're capturing people right now, right? People, objects, um, things like that. Uh, Wait, can I clarify one thing yep. to make sure I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah. Because now, and I don't know if I said this in that long rambling, trying to land the plane to get to this question, but 
the difference with the metaverse that we see right now in my mind, and I'll incorporate like the NFTs aspect of it, like yep. people buying homes and buying horses and shit, is that these are actual objects that exist only in that space. Right? They're not Correct. you're not live streaming a horse from a stable and then it's it's right there. It's this is a separate thing that was created. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're talking about is you're going to be able to actually take this world, to use your words, the carbon copy of it, and you're going to be able to live stream it so that even if there's a different reality there, shit, I need some weed right now, but there's a different <laughs> reality right there, you are taking things that are real, that are actually existing in the real world, and at least putting that, I'm fucking up at Alan to say this, but putting it in that world and then saying it can change there, but this is now... There's two of them. Yeah. So so basically, like once I have a 3D uh, map of the world, I can almost do anything with it, right? So I I have this room, uh, a 3D map of this room. Um, I am wearing a pair of augmented reality glasses. It looks like this room because I'm actually looking at this room. Um, but I know uh, I'm spatially aware now, right? Um, I can have a piece of digital content that's not in my physical world now interact with my physical world because I know my physical world in digital. Um, so that's where it really starts to like collide and, and um, you can get as creative as you want with what that looks like from like a, a user experience perspective. Um, Everything down to like how how are you actually interacting with it? Like, are you using your hands? Are you using like a remote? Whatever, right? Um, all the way to like what is the content? Um, like the place a, a football game or a basketball game on your coffee table kind of thing is like a, an example of what one piece of content would be. But and you is, want spatial awareness. Is the best? Here's the second layer to it now. And this isn't tomorrow, but 20 years from now, that basketball game or that football game, are they playing it in the metaverse too? Meaning they're doing it in some facet in real life. Like I'm not saying it's going to be exactly like the Matrix where they're lying in the box and they can just concept it in their head because then anyone could be a professional athlete in that way, which is a whole separate thing. But I'm saying like are they going to be – could you be playing against each other and not in the same building and it's the same? Which is creepy, but um, so now we're really getting we're like, getting deep out there. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you could, I guess, <laughs> theoretically. I think there's a a little bit deeper than like technology. Uh, that's that seems like a lot of like hard science or deep tech haptics. <laughs> uh, haptics yeah, at yeah. a minimum, you yeah, know, a lot. Quite a few things. Well, I've yeah. always said like one of the coolest things, like an evolution of FaceTime where you could use uh, volumetric or holograms mm -hmm. would be awesome. But one of the biggest things that you would lose is like personal touch, right? So um, you, you've already lost that in like 2D. But Wait, you would lose personal touch with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that versus physically being with somebody, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying like from FaceTime, based on your example. Yeah. That's already a loss of physical right there. So now you're making it 3D. That feels at least better than just being on the 2D phone. Yeah, it feels better, but like, let's get it 90% of the way. Sure. There, you know, sure. right? So 
what, what what could you do? One of the coolest things would be like a shirt with some sort of haptics in them, uh, so that I could give you a hug. Like yeah. the hologram could give you a hug, and you would feel the feedback from the hug. Whew, that'd be awesome, and I would love to test that. So if anybody has a haptic shirt, please let me know. Well, outside of the metaverse, then we're just gonna go like. The con- the conversations with you are naturally complicated, and my job is to also s- tone it down. Si- yeah, simple it, <laughs> simplify yeah. it for everyone. But like, we're gonna go all around as like things come up because I just have questions on everything, and I- I'd imagine people listening at home are constantly thinking of things when you're saying, "I'm like, wait, but does that mean this then that?" So, whatever, we'll roll with it. But one of the things that we didn't get to talk about a ton that I wanted to because we got off into something else, but with Riley. He had brought up haptics, which blew my mind because I I hadn't even thought about that like in the conversation here. And haptics, to be clear, are the ability to also, as you were just pointing out, like feel these things happen. You know, there's like a way that you can incorporate technology so that you can shake hands with a hologram and it feels like you're shaking a real hand. But beyond the metaverse, the thing we're going to create, and maybe it's not, maybe it's all a part of the same thing. And I'm really just having trouble concepting it, but when you're talking about recreating dead people, hmm. it's a that is a deep, deep, complicated, morally complicated, yeah. difficult thing to think about. And I haven't talked about this with you in a while, but I remember we had a phone conversation about it when we were talking about some dead celebrities, maybe like five, six months ago. Yeah. And it was it almost like not to overplay it, and this is literally just talking about celebrities that I happen to care about. But it almost like it brings a tear to your eye a little bit because you're like, "Holy shit!" But it's not like this pure happy tear. It's like, what are the implications there? Yeah. So, without talking about some, of, I, I know there's one that you've been going back and forth with to do this. So I won't use that example, but I'll use an example that I know that also came up last time in another context, but like Tupac. Yep. You know, because he's been dead now for 25 years, allegedly. But, you know, like like bringing him back, you would essentially – you have the tech even right now to not only recreate him but recreate a reality of him. So if you added in haptics, now you're feeling – like if you go to hug Tupac, you're hugging Tupac. Yep. But also you're – you're bringing something back to life. So then to bring it even more personal and take it away from just like a celebrity that people cared about, you know, that whole concept of parents lose their kid to cancer or something and a father can have a 3D full representation created of he and his son when he was six years old having a catch right in front of him in life size down to the fucking freckle on him. I mean, that's a beautiful memory to be able to have and like almost touch and feel, but it creates a, like a false reality too. And as a human being in touch with our humanity and the fact that there's a life and there's a death and you yeah. know, that's, that's just what it is and you cross over and that's over, it, it, it's almost dangerously fucking with that line. Yeah, it is. So where I draw that line, I think there's like two ways to look at it. Capturing memories that actually happen in a new way. We've been capturing memories for years, right? We've captured black and white video, black and white picture, um, 
what makes it feel a little bit more scary is that it's immersive. It's a little bit more real, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that goes beyond the line. That doesn't go beyond my line, I guess. Like, I would love to have, um, I'm sure somebody will say this is creepy, but like, I would love to have a set of cameras in my living room and watch my kid grow up again, right? I'd love to sit with him when he's 10, he or she is 10, uh, and place a memory on the coffee table and watch that memory with them. I think that would be killer. It's the same kind of thing as watching a home video of their first steps, but you get to relive the entire environment, everything that was happening. The dog walking around on the other side of the room who turned his head and said, oh, is that baby moving? <laughs> right? The dog, the dog talked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> the awkward little head turn, mean. right? Like, yeah. you now have the entire environment. And it'd be awesome to just, like, place that on the coffee table and rewatch it. That naturally goes towards death. You look at, like, happy moments and you look at sad moments for the things that we want to keep memories of. I think where it gets dangerous... Um, and where my line is, is when you're taking or recreating mm. and then using things like AI to make it feel like I can still interact with this person. Imagine this. Imagine That's this scary. for a second. So imagine that your wife died and she died young. You're a 45-year-old guy and, and God forbid she died of cancer. And your technology was then able to recreate a memory of her that also allows it to interact with the husband such that he's hugging her before he goes to bed at night. You see some of these people who lose someone tragically at a young age and they can't get rid of their clothes and they hug their clothes and stuff like that and eventually it becomes a problem and their friends and their family have to like help them move on because time moves and you have to keep going. Now inject the possibility that you're going to be putting a recreation of that human who's not sentient. They're not, they're not actually yeah. there. They can't understand what you're saying. At least, I don't know if we're going to get there. Fuck, man. But they can't understand any of that, but they're there still. Like their physical being as, a, as an inflatable doll in a way. That can absolutely fuck with someone's head. And yeah. that kind of thing is very scary to me. We even see it with fake humans. Like I just said the inflatable thing, but like you see it with people fucking around with sex dolls and stuff. Yeah. You see it like as we get farther and farther away from each other on a, from a humanity standpoint and we become more and more digitized, we lose the, even if we want it more than anything in the world, we lose the drive to get actual impact from another person for real. And then we start to lose the line between what's real and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when it starts to become scary. I, I think that's, that's like where my line is, right? I want to relive memories. I think that would be fantastic. I want to enable other people to relive memories in a new way. Um, but when it starts to get to, Let's give a uh, capture, even if we had a capture of somebody, right? Like there is a capture of me. So if I were to pass away and somebody were to take my capture uh, and 
make me live on, so to speak, in a way that people could still interact with me. I think that's, we're starting to hit some lines. Um, what's the purpose of it? I think there are good things that could come from that, right? Like maybe it is something that helps you cope enough to say for a week or so, whatever, some predetermined period of time or undetermined period. Yeah. Like, okay. I know this isn't him, but this was, this was cool, but it could also go very poorly very quickly and that but that's also like pulling a rug too because let's say it was you said a predetermined time so like so seven days you get it and the central system your company automatically pulls it so there's no slippery slope it's like having a second death again yeah yeah. because now it's like oh my god now they're really gone yeah you know it's like a countdown clock you know exactly when it's coming that's another and maybe you can get over i'm sure you can get over that eventually but it's like it's almost cruel you know there is something about when it's over it's over and it sucks. And like with death, we grieve it. Yeah. But it's over. It's done. Life goes on. When you start to then extend that line and extend the process and you create like a systemized process, it that scares – that's the kind of shit that scares the hell out of me, man. I mean yeah. you guys – because the other thing is you guys have this tech – and you have the patents around it and the market is your oyster you know you as long as you don't wait for 20 years here maybe a little less than that but you know what i mean like you're going to bring this to market eventually and that day is not too far iterations of this are going to be created by other people too like once you and someone's going to create this whether it's you or yeah. someone else someone's going to create this so you can't like that line you talk about of like I'm not comfortable going past here. Someone's oh, going to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying that's that's where like I don't want to go past. I'm sure here's the other thing too, like you put it out it's going to get there. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It's it's just like anything, right? Like people will do malicious things with tech that uh, had a good intent to start. Um, I don't necessarily want to be the one to encourage that because I think a lot of bad things can happen. Um, I'll also say I think that's much better than some things uh, that we could be using uh, AI for, at least. What do you mean? <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's like a lot of bad that you can do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, in the scheme of things, if we're picking and choosing, okay, might not be great, uh, but I'd rather somebody do that than something oh, else. Oh, you're saying – I'll put an exact example on it to make sure I understand. You're saying you'd rather have the problem of recreating a dead person with haptic hologram technology than recreating a person as an AI where it's like, can you even unplug them? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, precisely. Or or give an AI autonomy over something that is um like critical, mission critical. That's actually a really fair point to make. It's scary. It is. It's choosing an evil versus an evil, but I will agree yeah, yeah. with you a thousand percent. Yeah. You know my interest in AI. Like Yeah. That's worse. Well if I'm if I'm choosing my death, you know, like <laughs> um 
Yeah. It's heavy, man. It's just, it is. It's, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you deal with this every day. Uh, like what, what could be? I yeah. Mean, it's, it's hard. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, even look at the social media companies. Yeah. Look well, at, look at, well, for now social yeah, media yeah. in quotes but like just look at i always use this example but look at twitter yeah the concept and i believe them the concept of that was they were trying to create a group text that you could share with the world it wasn't supposed to be more than that they didn't know that like that environment was going to create i mean maybe they could have guessed some of this but you can't you, hindsight's twenty twenty. they didn't know that environment was going to create this world where people could could say whatever they wanted to anyone else including like evil shit yeah you know that drives us more and more apart and also creates think like it literally creates thought and how people view the world whether you know it can start with politics but it can go all the way down to what's real and what's not and and how other what other people are like versus what they're not like twitter didn't know that when they were creating it now that we have the modern examples of companies like Twitter, companies like Apple with the iPhone, companies like Google with search and what that then allows them to learn about a human being. Now that we at least have those, guys like you who are creating new things, even if you can't chart all of exactly what could go wrong, I don't have that expectation, you at least can chart it like a little bit. You can at least yeah, chart yeah. the possibilities and realize that like, oh, we're not going to be any different than that. Yeah, you know it's going to be something different, but it's going to be the same idea. Like this is going to turn into something that we don't know, or at least at the very least can't control. Yeah. Well, so so here's another question. Right now, with what we'll call the building the metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. um, who will control the metaverse? <laughs> who who controls the most components? I guess you could look at it. Because the the company um, that everybody is quite frightened with uh, in the space right now, Facebook, yep. uh, is working on quite a few pieces of the metaverse, you know? So they own the end user device, the, the pair of glasses, if they did, um, the social, uh, I mean, that's like... What do you mean the social? A no-brainer. Facebook as it is today, evolving to be 3D. Um, it's like spaces. It's uh, it could be like your main method of communication. It could be it could be anything. All right, can we bookmark this for one second yeah, to take yeah. a sidebar on that exact thing? Yep. All right. So, and if we're coming back, you were talking about how Facebook is building the metaverse and yep. the reasons why so i don't want to lose that but on the facebook thing because i know you're a huge ui ux guy i love that shit like you're very into that don't say love ui ux and facebook in the same sentence exactly yeah, yeah. so we all know that zuckerberg along with the winklevoss twins sorry mark they created the blue f and they created what we know and obviously Zuckerberg took it through the finish line and all that and was responsible for creating what started as a very innovative beautiful platform he then turned it into a trash dump yep 
I mean, I can't even. I don't even go on Facebook. I, I don't even post there anymore. Yeah. It's a waste of my time. Like it's it, it, it's a trash dump. Yep. Instagram, which he did buy early on. Instagram allowed Sistrom and Krieger, who started it, yep. to stay there and run it. And I'm sure there was a lot of infighting behind the scenes, but those guys ran the company until August or September 2018. And while I'm sure there were some things that came onto the app that they maybe weren't crazy about, they allowed that vision to build. And you had a beautiful, what I would describe at one point as a perfect app. It was simple. It was white. You knew that you were getting either a picture or a video inside of 60 seconds in your feed. It was going to take up anywhere from 1080 to 1350 of your feed out of the 1920 on the screen. It required you did double tap to get a heart for a like, which is pretty self-explanatory. And there's a place that said comment. And even for a while, there wasn't even the hamburger menu on your profile of the three lines that you see on a lot of different websites and stuff like that. They didn't even have that. Everything was right in front of you and you could scroll through the feed and know exactly what you were getting. The stories, when they integrated that, which was a little controversial – I mean, I hate Instagram stories, what they become, but the idea was great because it was simple. It was at the top. You saw someone's profile picture. It lit up or it didn't, and you clicked it or you don't, right? Everything was right in front of you. Now, you go through that feed. I mean, probably one of the funnier tidbits was when you were trying to post from our last podcast onto Instagram. And like, you go on Instagram. Like, you're not, not using it, but you couldn't – you, running a hologram company yeah, yeah. couldn't even fit, and I don't blame you, couldn't even figure out how to yeah. post an IGTV without help, yeah. which should tell you something. Now you go through it. I don't know how, how much you've been paying attention to your feed recently. I can't even go through it. I spend less than – I barely am on that app at this point. But Instagram? Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like my test is when I go like this with my finger and take a swipe and let it let the screen move like relatively slowly – how quickly does my eye capture exactly what's right in front of me? Now, I don't even know what's there, man. I mean, there's text everywhere. There's bold. There's sponsored this. There's yeah, yeah. the feed is not in order. They have completely fucked up the app. And so the reason I say this is because one thing I do know about Zuckerberg is he is not an idiot. And they are – they're building – Baker and I talked about it. They're building a tremendous infrastructure back there as a VR company. And so yep. what I think Mark is doing, because also Instagram wasn't his and he always took that personally, which I guess I understand. But I think he's just milking whatever money he can squeeze out of Instagram to keep shareholders happy right now, which is his job on the idea that like, oh, this is we're, – we're phasing this out anyway. And whether it's going to be through Instagram or a new platform that Facebook calls Facebook X or something like that, you are going to have this VR – social media ecosystem, which then goes right back to what we were talking about here that you brought up, which is how Facebook is, quote unquote, building the metaverse. So my yep. question within that is, am I wrong? Wrong about what? My theory right there. No, I I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I still see Instagram being a strong uh, platform for a while. Um, There's no competition for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair... Instagram is much less uh, cumbersome than Facebook. Facebook, Still. like the Facebook app is oh, ungodly. 
Um, it's I get it's difficult when you start to jam pack things into an app like that. I mean, it's been a very long time. They're constantly shipping things. Uh, some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, there's a lot of like deep functionality uh, messages, right? Like messenger had to be broken out. It's also mm-hmm. easier to break it out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there was a point, I don't know if there still is, because again, don't use it that much. Are there still a series of apps? So you have like the main Facebook app, mm-hmm. right? Then you have messenger. Are there, yes. are there a bunch of other ones? Those are the two I know of, but okay. I'm also definitely, okay. I'm not paying attention to what Facebook's doing. I mean, I have it up behind you just so that like while we're talking about this live, like the second you come to the page, look at the, and people can't see this right now, but a lot of you have used Facebook. Maybe you're not on it as much now, but if, if you go to your Facebook page right now personally and look at the same thing we're looking at, look at the complexity of just the shape and the different the, the different size text and the fact that you have two sides. You still have fucking banner ads over there. You have your messenger built in. There, It is confusing. It, it, you, yeah. you don't even know, like, you know what's, what's on your mind, Julian? What does that even mean? You, know you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, the everything is, it's clunky. What's what's the TV icon? Which one? This? No, to the left. That? Yeah. I have no idea. I guess that means that these are video only. So it's, Got and it. what is this even? So like, here's one. Yeah, I don't know. It's putting random shit in there. It says, follow this. So I obviously don't follow this. So I guess this is based on data of some, you know what? I watched a video on, I don't think on Facebook. I think it was on, on Instagram in my feed the other night of like someone shearing a sheep. So here's a sheep shearing video. So I guess that's what it's from. But like, that's the point. They're overdoing this targeting so much that, that I mean, it's been a long time that it's been this way, but the, the concept of the app has been lost. Well, so the, the targeting doesn't bug me nearly as much as like just how much stuff is jammed into this. Like, yeah. Go to your, go to your settings or, or the drop down. What would be the hamburger on the app? I, is that it? I don't like, I, did I even just I don't hit? even know, but look at all that. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Now look at, hold on. Let's go to Instagram for a second. Uh, okay, and so people do the same thing on your Instagram because you're going to be looking at the same thing. By the way, I don't think I've done this in like, I don't think I've used either of these on web anything in like five years at least. Yeah, it's fair. It's yeah, it's yeah. kind of, it's roughly I the same. I rarely use them on my phone. Well, Instagram I do, but. Roughly yeah, the yeah. same thing. Like it's getting across the same ideas. But we go to Instagram. It's actually, it actually usually on for Instagram, I won't say this about Facebook, looks a little better on my computer. I think because you're forced to scroll a little slower. But yep. still, what starts happening is, first of all, I see posts from people that I've never interacted with. You know, I still get posts from people I interact with, but like, I definitely miss some. I definitely miss a lot now because I'm using it less. But it starts to get to, I'm, I'm guessing it's less on the computer than on phone. But you see like all these little things like original audio. Then there's a meme that's on the account. They build a meme into it. But then there's there's more there's more going on down here too, like with the text. There's there's what happens on the phone is you'll get these sponsors and it's very small and it's not bold, whereas the other things are bold and and you you start to lose like where your feed is versus like what they're just throwing at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not self-explanatory. Whereas 
when I started on Instagram, I was on Instagram for a while before I was like personally, I was doing marketing for people on here. And I remember just scrolling the feed and realizing like how instantaneously I could spot like, oh, that's a post from so-and-so. Yeah. And like that, chances are that was in the last three hours based on where I am in my scroll. And now that's gone. Yeah, it's 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 messy. I hate the, the hamburger. Like if you need a hamburger icon with that many options, like you, you got to start taking a look at stuff. That's uh, deep. E- easier said than done for like Facebook. Um, I'm sure that's not a an easy task. Um and I kind of wish I knew somebody in uh, UI UX at Facebook now because I have loads of, of questions. <laughs> but, um, Gonna go chew them out. Yeah, yeah, it's messy. You know what's funny? One of the best, um, one of the best like UI UX interactions that I've ever found. Um, this is really weird, but Teladoc. There's like a Teladoc. Oh app. yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. So. If you go onto the Teladoc app, that's like the when you that's the remote doctor appointment. Yes. Thing. Yeah. So coolest, cool one of the coolest designs uh, that I've seen. The interactions are fantastic. And then in the bottom right corner, um, when once you like go through fill out your information, the animations are kind of cool. Whatever. When you get to like an actual appointment, there's a little circle in the bottom right corner that you can move around it's, mm. i think it spawns in the bottom right when you tap it so it's your face it's just showing you a little preview of like basically facetime when you tap the little circle these like options roll around the outside of it mm. i absolutely love the interaction very strange uh if anybody has ever seen it it's like i don't know it's 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 addicting. I got to check that. I love that yeah, shit. Yeah. So it's I, fantastic. Remind me to check that out afterwards. Yeah. But I, I got to think that if you're on Facebook's UI UX team and you're not just somebody mailing it in, mm-hmm. there, there's no way you don't hate what this is. There's no way you don't hate it. Like you have to know what they're doing. And yeah. and I'm sure they all talk about it with each other. Like, I can't believe we're fucking doing this. I, I actually don't. I don't hate Instagram's UI. It is still like really deep. But at a certain point, I understand it's like, what the hell do we do here? I think um, I'm comparing it, in fairness. Yeah, It yeah. was perfect, and so yep. now it's got so much clutter that I hate it. Yeah, It's yeah. not – it's going in the Facebook direction. I think he is ruining it, but it's not – I will even admit it's certainly not there. Like, yeah. it's not at Facebook's level. Well, so ask, like, what's the fundamental reason behind some of the changes that you hate? Like I, I hate like button placements and like unnatural interactions and things like that. Uh, when I'm looking at like Facebook, Instagram, UI, UX, more so than I hate like how free flowing the sponsored content feels. Right, like it's literally right in the middle. You might not even be able to identify it right you can't. away. Exactly. Um, and then it pisses you off. Why? Why is that the case? Why was that change made? the value of 2d advertising uh rapidly diminishing what's like one of the underlying reasons why people are moving to immersive because we're milking the hell out of 2d let's move to 3d i mean it's like a it is a natural progression but like if you're looking from a dollar perspective an advertiser is going to get more out of advertising in 3d right now it's going to be more targeted 
you're going to get you might get less eyeballs but they're going to be like much higher quality eyeballs um and it'll feel like you're interacting with something instead of like just a, a nuisance in the middle of a feed or in the beginning of a video or well, that, like that. that's where they still have a disadvantage with TikTok. And this is where yeah. TikTok hasn't beat because of the difference in the content. On TikTok, it's simple. You scroll your finger, you're at a next full screen video. It's one by one, boom. And it's the ultimate, boop, boop, just like that. Yep. Whereas on Instagram, it still takes up a certain portion of the screen, so you have to aim it and yep. stuff. And there's more, they have to mention what it is. Whereas in TikTok, everything is all built into that bottom portion that tells you immediately, if you look at it, what the video is. So with sponsored content on TikTok, number one, it's a video. And there's not, not that they don't have that on Instagram. They do, but they have a lot of pictures too, which is annoying because then you're trying to like take in what it is. But number two, it'll say, you can immediately tell it's sponsored content on TikTok. And number three, it's the easiest way to get off. Boop. Just like that. One scroll. Whereas on Instagram, you're like, wait, where'd my feed start again? Wait, where's... Did we get past where the real content is and now it's all sponsored? I got to go down here. Like, this is five seconds of time, but it's five seconds of decision points in someone's head yep. that you add into their already decision point heavy day. And so, like, from a user experience perspective, it that adds up in pissing you off. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you then remember, oh, when I was on TikTok, I got pissed off less. You don't say that to yourself, but you realize, like, man, why do I stay on TikTok so long? Because it's easy. Yeah. It's easy. Boop. Yeah, yeah, they nailed that interaction, and I get a lot of people hate it because it's like super addicting. Yeah, um, and like I guess there could be some like moral questions. I don't know, but um, I absolutely love it from like a design perspective. I think it's it's killer. Um, I can also find myself losing twenty minutes on TikTok. Oh yeah, 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 and oh, then yeah. I, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I have to study content on there. Because like, yeah. it's a part of what I do. And so I do. But I'm much more, I do it at specific times. I will do yeah. it like late at night when I know less work is happening. Yep. Because I'm prepared. Like I'm kind of doing work when I'm doing it because I'm constantly saving things and seeing what works and studying some stuff. So it's not totally innocuous. I don't know if innocuous is the word, but it's it's not totally useless. But still, you kill 40 minutes where you thought you killed 10 Yep. And it's more than on other platforms because there's just way more to choose from and they, they throw you the content that you're most likely to interact with and it's it's live. It's a it's a video. There's there's like a there's an element of personality to it that yeah. you can't get on other platforms. But yeah, I mean there's there's the question there. They've they've got shit from that from day one, like yeah. how addictive they make it and everything. And that's the nature of it. It's all about capturing people's attention and they do. Well, so, so TikTok for me is like, eh, I'll go on there every once in a while and check out some of the funny memes and stuff, but, um, and Trendifier. Yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> um, and then and Johnny drinks and Joe Rogan and Johnny drinks. Yep. Yeah. So Rogan's I'll, not on there though. You can find like little clips and yeah. now that I've looked at them a bunch, yeah. it's the only thing I'll see. Um, yeah. So I'll get a bunch of like cool podcast clips. I'll get like funny memes of dogs and things. And then uh, uh, same same thing with Reddit. Re although Reddit has become like, um, I now f have found myself in small communities on Reddit, mm. um, which is dangerous but cool. Um, I didn't know there were that big like um, tech uh, 
well, obviously there's huge tech community on Reddit, but like specifically our space, it's pretty deep. So um, that's super cool. Uh, I can a just sift through and learn what people are like, damn, I really wish I could do this. Um, and it just like helps provide insight or I'll ask like crazy, stupid questions. Like um, what happens if I put my hat in the dishwasher, you know, like yeah. just weird stuff. Um, Reddit's an unbelievable tool, man. Oh man. It's, it's, it's a unreal. great tool, but there's like weird sides of Reddit. Oh and yeah. You can, you can go down real, real fast. Cause it's all yep, anonymous. Yeah. 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 I absolutely love it though. Like personalities come out. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it is the ultimate, like it's, it's the upside and downside to the greatest <laughs> extent in both examples. Yep. Of yeah, the yeah. internet. And the funny thing about Reddit that's ironic here is like Reddit's UI is purposely like a 1990s yep. web tool. It's, it's purposely forum. horrific. Like the entire th – everything about it is bad except maybe the upvote and downvote. I think that looks okay. But like it's clunkily put together in every way. But it's like an irony. It's purposely like that. So I yeah. kind of appreciate it. And it's also all anonymous. It's not like – you don't – really look at a lot of people's reddit profile unless you're in a direct no. conversation with them and you're like who is this person which yeah, you yeah. then can't figure out so it's like okay but if you want to get random shit answered on the internet that's where you go yeah or a dude find things right like there's so somebody told me about it a couple of years ago uh r slash hardware swap it's literally it's just people trading buying selling uh computer hardware and like during COVID, it was damn near impossible to get your hands on certain pieces of hardware. GPUs are still hard to get. Um, I mean, they're becoming a little bit more available, but scalpers jack the prices up by 5X, 3X, depends. But like a $1,000 GPU that you can't buy for under 2K, like that sucks at scale. Or even just like individually. Right, like if I'm trying to build a computer and I just want to build like a like a gaming PC, um, like that that sucks. If I wasn't planning on spending six grand, I was yeah. only planning on spending two. Right. So, um, anyway, that that community was awesome. They were like uh, putting an extra level of verification. They would try to track MSRP and only allow you to upcharge like ten percent or something for. Keeps you um, honest. Yeah, yeah. And and the community was like just killer. So I, I ended up buying a whole bunch of stuff through Hardware Swap. The final 10% of this studio of the decisions to buy everything in here and also set it up the way I did. Reddit. It was, yeah, it was 90% research and iterating and on all like going psycho mode. And the yeah. last 10%, like even down to, as an example, figuring out, learning the EQ process. And the compression process on the audio and things like that. Once I had learned it, I then went to Reddit with the most ridiculous, like, down to the final detail questions. Like, I would try to come up with something like, no one's going to be able to answer this. And someone does. Yep. And then they nail it. Yeah. And then, like, if you're not sure, you can go get it on another forum. And if the answers line up, you're like, oh, this is probably pretty good. Shit, yeah. And then it was. It's an amazing... Yeah amazing tool but i i do want to make sure i i get you back to the facebook metaverse the original thing yep, that we yep. started this on i just you know we have to talk you is always a rabbit hole absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely and and like talking about it on all these platforms and what they've done good and bad 
Like we didn't get to Twitter, but that's another story. But uh, Twitter's actually a decent example of pulling back some things and going back to what made them great. So that was a good one. But back to Facebook building the metaverse because that's scary for a lot of people to hear. You were saying before I got you off topic that they are taking social – the ideas they want to take social into the 3D world. And so they want to – maybe they'll use actual Facebook.com and Instagram, the apps, whatever to do that. Maybe they won't. But right now, they're building the infrastructure behind the scenes. And yet even as we say that, they don't have your ability. No. No. So – well, nobody does. I know. Um, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. Very so, cool. So it's – well, it's something that becomes like uh, a key piece for someone to do. Right. So whether it's uh, Snap, Facebook, there's um, one of our advisors called it the XR arms race. I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a, a series of things that need to happen for that vision, the greater vision of the metaverse to become possible um, or usable at scale, things like that. Um, you need uh, the world to be captured in 3D. You need, uh, which the AR cloud, um, Niantic uh, has acquired a couple of companies that were building the AR cloud. I have a few friends that uh, one of them sold his company to Niantic. Um, the AR cloud is what you're, that's the 3D map of the world? Yeah, yeah. Like building a map of the world uh, in 3D. Okay. So that's like people call... Uh, if if people refer to like the AR cloud, that's kind of what they're referring to. Um, Got it. Yeah. Uh, so that's one piece, right? Then you need um, how do we rapidly create 3D content? Creating 3D content is like a mundane process, right? Like you have to 3D model something, um, create texture, apply texture whatever right and if you want it to move you have to animate it rig it animate it it's a process but you guys do that in real time so we don't do any of that we're actually capturing it right so so that's the difference if you start with something that's computer generated you have to generate all of it oh okay okay all right i didn't understand that's so you were talking about actually creating it rather than taking something that's real which is what you do yeah so well so the higher level is in this metaverse what do we need we need 3d content we want that 3d content to be lifelike or realistic so we have two options we can either create it we can computer generate it and we're getting pretty lifelike with things right um but mundane process expensive time consuming etc etc if we could capture it capture the world capture objects capture people uh whether it's real time or not we need to do it rapidly so even if i'm i I just need like references uh i need to to do a lot of them if i what do you mean references uh a table i need a table right i'm either going to model this table Uh, it's going to either be entirely computer generated or i can capture it which is you do the latter yeah correct you don't do any of the former correct and for, for people, it's the same kind of thing. But to make a person look lifelike, computer-generated, is extremely difficult. Yeah, think about the process. That, the uncanny valley. Th- think about like Pixar. 
Yeah. And what they have to do. And that's not a real person. And they creating. purposely make it not look real. Yes. Because you get into the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Wait. wait. The uncanny, uncanny Valley? Uncanny Valley. I think What's so. That? I believe we talked about this last time. But the uh, Uncanny Valley is... We all blends together. Right? I know. <laughs> the Uncanny Valley is basically like, uh, if it looks too lifelike, but not exact you're going to say, oh, that's off. That's fake. So you want to avoid that, but you also want to avoid... Um, there's there's like a, a, a couple of things there, right? So it, you don't want to try and make it too close, but have it miss. Um, so a, a lot of what a lot of people do is just like completely uh, make it unrealistic right because then you know i'm i pulled up this example while yeah, you're yeah. talking oh what are you are you familiar name? with is her little michaela little michaela yeah. yeah yeah so i've i've talked about her a few times on Creepy. this podcast yeah this is uncanny valley this is uncanny valley because you can tell there's this what the fuck she's got braces now too all right so hold on a second I have not seen this. This is the first time I'm looking at this. This is a post from six days ago. What the fuck? So I'm going to put this in the bottom corner of the screen for people who are listening right now. If you want to go onto YouTube and check it out. And by the way, like the video while you're there. Thank you. Anyway, so <laughs> this is six days ago. The caption is, Ben was my first everything and our relationship felt so real. How is he in my program memories then? What the fuck? And there's a real human man with his arms wrapped around her in a prom pose. And she actually looks a little bit creepily real right there. Bro, what the fuck? Yeah, it's all fucked up. That is textbook. But this is less, like this picture's less of a good uncanny valley example. Where, oh, hold on, I'm gonna go to that other one too. Here's another one. You can kind of tell that she's a little bit Pixar. Now, there's so many goddamn filters out there these days that people use that maybe you could see that someone just kind of like, you know, bad plastic surgery, their picture, and that's real, versus like, oh, here's another picture right here. Is that computer jet? No fucking way. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, I'm putting this one. They're all in the corner, so you can be watching right I now. I actually think this is... This is easier. That That's computer. So this is a picture of her. The caption says, still pick stuff up with my feet, still work well with others. Guess I'm a soccer girl for life. So for the record, Lil Michaela was created like three years ago or something. And she was created <laughs> as a 16-year-old girl or something. This is a picture of quote-unquote Lil Michaela as a five-year-old at her soccer game in like an early, two, early 2000s type shot. And it looks fucking real. Yeah. So, like I said, I actually think this is easier to do than the last one that is super creepy, not real, but almost believable. So, like this, the last one, I'll pull that up again, Uncanny Valley. This one, that's that looks real. So, you wouldn't call that Uncanny Valley? No, no. Valley. You're out of the Uncanny Valley. But it's also a photo. So it's all so uncanny valley, and yeah, we're talking photos right now. But uncanny yeah. valley is very subjective, uh, hypothetically. It is kind of yeah. So it's not like a. But you know whether you're in it or not. 
Because you either think it's real or you know it's not real, but it's pretty close and it's like, oh, this is creepy. It's like you can use like a creepy meter. That's how you can figure it out. So like. You want me to go back to that? (sighs) It's okay. No, no, no. I'll I'll go back. Well, Michaela. Sorry, I took it down, people. Uh, Okay. Where do you want me to go? Nowhere. Um, Yeah. So like the. That one looks pretty fucking real. See, it it looks real, but you look at her and you say, like, there's something off here. Like, it doesn't... The eyes. That's what it is. So the first yeah. one doesn't have her eyes open, right? Second one has her eyes open and the eyes look beyond a filter. And then look at this one. Her eyes are almost shut. That's This was the first one we were looking at, the prom pose. That's why it looks kind of real, because her eyes are almost shut there. They're squinting. Yeah, so the inner teeth and like... Look at the eyes here. That looks like... I mean, I, l- I look at this and I think video game. Right. Immediately. Exactly. See yeah, that? Yeah. It's the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of people, to avoid the Uncanny Valley, they just make it like blatantly not real. Because if it's blatantly not real, you're not going to have this like, ooh, this is kind of creepy feeling. Uh, but you can get that, ooh, this is kind of creepy feeling if it's like 90-something percent there, right? So, uh, yeah, I want you to stay on top of what you were getting at. Yeah. That was just a good example. Yeah. So, so like you can either capture it and it's actually going to be real unless you like augment it in some way. Um, kind of like you would augment a picture that is a capture of something that's real with Photoshop and make it not real. So you can either capture it or you can generate it. If you make it from scratch, you're going to get to like Michaela or a little bit less. That uh, is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's expensive, time consuming, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So to do that with everybody, big mess. Because she's fake. She's a total complete creation. They're not capturing anyone. I'm sure she was based off of a few people, but they have to create it. So this is separate. From what Correct. you are, this is where you know my my head gets tied, because like we we're talking about that metaverse and everything, but it's like you're a piece of it. You're creating what you view as the metaverse, but people are also creating what they view as the metaverse, and like, are those going to be separate worlds? I guess is a good question. So like, are people going to create fake people like Lil Michaela and put that in its own metaverse versus you creating real people? that are captured in a real universe to put it in a metaverse and they're going to stay separate or is it all going to be like spaghetti and just kind of flow together like an acid trip? <laughs> I, the, so like basically, is there going to be one standard? Yes. Great question. I I think naturally there will be, it, it will shake out, um, but there might be multiple spaces within it. I, I I don't know how that shakes out on a on a large scale. I mean, but, I, I could get into like my opinions on how people should approach it. I think it's uh, not necessarily black and white. I think a lot of it comes to like how are the pieces being pulled together. But does what it types do- of things are being done in this metaverse, like that kind of stuff? Does adoption work the same way though? And that's a really broad question. So to give you an exact example, 
Facebook was Facebook because they captured the market. You can't have social media if there's nothing social going on, if there aren't other users coming in. So like someone might have created a perfect looking platform, but two people were using it. No one cares. It's a centralized base. So with the metaverse, well, when, so when you say Facebook is controlling the new one, is that because they are betting that they're going to get the most users to come in? So that's going to become the standard. So think, think of the metaverse like, like the cloud today. Right? Like we bucket it as the cloud. Um, it is not just the cloud. Right? Like it's, it's, it's not one platform. Okay. The cloud is like a layer um, or how can I easily compare this? So Amazon AWS is mm -hmm. one of the biggest, maybe the biggest, I'd be surprised if they weren't, cloud providers, right? Um, yep. They don't control the cloud. There are many ways to create a cloud environment. You can use yeah. AWS. You can use Google, Google Cloud. You can Apple. use, yeah, Linode. Mm -hmm. uh, there's like a thousand things. Dropbox. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so the metaverse, I don't think is going to be this like one space, like Oculus, what, what is slipping? There's like an Oculus marketplace kind of thing. That's the VR headset. Yeah. Like if thing. you, if you yeah. put an Oculus go on, you go to like this central location and then you can enter into a bunch of apps and do all kinds of things. I don't think there's going to be like just one of those. And everybody's going to work with it. I think there, it's going to be a, like a set of standards. But who gets the most adoption? Um, who creates most of those components will effectively control what the metaverse shapes out to be. So if Facebook is building the hardware that people wear on their faces, if they're building... Uh, the standards for interacting with content, they're building uh, all of these things that are required, the AR cloud, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Facebook will naturally uh, dictate like what that metaverse looks like before anybody else builds things. But people are going to be free to build metaverses. Is it metaverses or metaveri or how are we saying it? It's a great question. It's like cloud. Okay. Cloud. Do you say clouds? Yeah. You usually just say cloud. All right. That's interesting. I think that's like a good example. Obviously, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but... this We don't have... I don't think we have the technological capability to do what I'm about to say right now, and it's probably, I'm guessing, very amateur guess, but this is something that is probably a couple decades away. But could a system be created such that metaverses can just be created on demand as simulations. So hypothetically, there can be trillions of metaverse. I meant, I don't fucking know what it is, but there can be trillions of metaverses. And if I'm just chilling in my house on a Tuesday, I can decide to like a video game, enter this simulation right here where all these fake people exist, but they don't feel fake. And I start to lose the grip between what's real and what's not. I don't know about decades. 
Like probably sooner than that. <laughs> uh, a decade. But again, I'm pretty aggressive with these things. So you not that that's something you want to be aggressive with, but. As far as like, but as a prediction, you know, it's not up to you in a way. So it's yeah. okay to be aggressive with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you would have told people a decade ago the things we'd have, some people might have believed you. But it still goes to show you how fast it moved, you know. Like the pace of innovation is like tremendous. It's unreal. Yeah. And and like I love innovation. You know I'm all about it. Still scares me. Like some stuff 100%. going so far like every day I think about it. That's yeah. why I can't imagine being you. But uh, it's I feel like we're at a really like the inflection point is in the midst right now. Like it's not over. It started yeah. though. And it's like COVID was the event that actually springboarded it because it changed our expectations on things. But like people are blown away right now when they see that video of Zuck with uh, Gail King talking in the emoji verse. Yep. And yet it's here. You know, and yeah. people, they shouldn't be blown away by that. Yeah. We <laughs> shall see. I'm excited. I, th I think it's it's an interesting time. Um, we get to kind of pave what happens next. Um, yeah. Uh, alongside those companies. Uh, that's the other thing. There are a, quite a few people uh, fighting to build these key components um i wouldn't be surprised if facebook is just like the clear absolutely abominate uh absolutely kills everything else what about apple it's a little mush and what about google and yeah, what about exactly Jeff? yeah yeah so google um i think it's snap snap apple google facebook uh niantic you think it snaps that eye up? Wow. Oh no, I wasn't ranking them. Oh, uh, th oh those oh, are okay. the those are the big ones um to watch out for. Although I've I've heard some like rumbling oh, I don't know how much uh it's I've heard some rumblings about TikTok too. Um in that space. I'd believe that hundred percent. Can't remember where I got that. hundred percent. I mean they're they're the company that runs TikTok. Like I was concerned about that for a long time. I talked about it on this podcast too. Oh, with ByteDance. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. with the because ByteDance, you know, it's a Chinese company. And it's, yep. it's it's controlled by the Ten government. Cent. But the first guy to break the foundations to me getting more comfortable about it was on this podcast. My friend Mike Laxamana, who's an engineer, and and walked me through it, and he explained the things I was most concerned about about data capture. I'm I'm generalizing here, but data capture for like machine learning and stuff like that, and creating a visual representation in the United States, you know, in a foreign yep. hands of a foreign government. Yeah, yeah. He was explaining to me the data power that that would require, and straight up that it's not. Yeah, yeah. it can't be done right now. No. And then I talk. I think I talked to you about it too. Now that it's all blended together, but I think you were explaining to me that that there was another part of it that that also can happen. So I haven't, you know. Then I got on TikTok and I was comfortable enough to do it. I know that there's definitely some stuff going there, but when you start to get into the fact that they may be looking to create it, 
that does start to be like, okay, well, what are the capabilities there again? Because of the fact that they are at the mercy of, of a foreign power that is not exactly free, you know, yep. like, could that be like, how much death can, I, I guess that's a real good question to go to. How much, how much death can happen in a metaverse that then drags into real life, like war, stuff like that? What do you mean by death? Let's say country A and country B on a large scale enter the same metaverse. Are they fighting for real estate there the same way that they'd be fighting for real estate? I mean, all wars are fought over money and land, you know, and resources. Yeah. Are they fighting for it the same way in the metaverse? And then does that drag into real actual death or is it like a video game death? Like if they fight a war in the metaverse? Um, that's a, I guess it's a, a good question. Um, it could be like whoever controls, like I, I, I think of metaverse as like this overarching term that can be used for a series of things and how you use those, those things, those tools, um, can vary, right? Kind of like cloud, like. When I say cloud, I could mean uh, content delivery, uh, like a CDN. I could mean storage. I could mean like there's there's a series of things that are all bucketed under cloud, and uh, I think that's that's similar to like metaverse. So there's there's like a ton to unpack in that. Uh, but if you're talking about like a uh, a physical space it's 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 i guess it's kind of the same as like if i took a piece of paper and uh said that this is now a new world um am i gonna you know like fight you over a, a square well that's the other thing that's finite yeah that paper's eight eight and a half by eleven say yeah yeah you can either take two inches of it or three inches of it but when you do it that's two or three inches of it that are gone. Like you have it. It can't be replicated. Whereas here's another question. Great for the metaverse. If it's not a physical place and it's a simulated place, it effectively has no limits. Like they always joke about God's not making any more land. So buy it. Right. Because the earth is finite. The metaverse, hypothetically, you can just keep adding to. No. Correct. But that would impact things like, price yes willingness to go to war over it that's another question so like am i gonna go to war with you if i know we can just make more land you know so here's a good example down at the jersey shore i know that this exists like at least in ocean city and i think it exists in the other ones that have to check it out but my grandparents have lived down there forever and they live on the beach and in the contract of their home there is something along the lines of their land extends to 10 feet past wherever the tide is at all times. So it, it they own the land hypothetically 10 feet into the ocean at all times. Now, the beach itself is a public property that the state reserves the right to allow people to go to. They don't control that. But when it comes to selling their land and the ownership deed on it, they own that deep into the ocean because – If the earth moved, and it does, and the tide changes, and enough space gets between that a builder wanted to come in and got permission from the state to build a neighborhood behind them, well, that means that they're no longer a beachfront home, so the value of their home goes down. So to protect the value, 
they have the ownership into the tide. Now take that to the metaverse. If I build a house in the metaverse that goes for $4 million because it's a 5,000 square foot house, is there a way on a certain plot of land, is there a way then that we can create smart contracts or something that guarantee the fact that no one else can build that same house and that if someone else builds a house of a similar size, it's not going to water down the price automatically due to whatever restrictions you would put on it. But by creating those restrictions, you're putting, you're you're making it finite. Mm, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So that's so so that's the thing. Like it might not be finite in and of itself, but you can find ways to make it uh, limited or increase value, right? And and if it's me and I know I can just build the same thing next to it or whatever. Uh, Obviously, I'm not going to go to war over it. I'm not going to overpay for it. I'm going to offer you whatever I want because I can just do that again uh, somewhere else or right next to it or whatever the case. Um, Doesn't require physical labor, all that shit. Correct. It's like it's movable, simulatable yeah, as you build. I'll just, I'll just do it. Right. So, um, and, and if that was $4 million, like, well, yeah, yeah, it, it's... I think all of those things get taken into account with price just like they do uh, or pri- price willingness to fight like any of those things, uh, just like it would physically. So if I'm buying that beach beachfront property and it's beachfront today, but I don't have that uh, a clause like that in that contract in the, the purchase of the home, then like. I'm not going to pay as much because it's not worth as much if something were to happen. Uh, mm. You know? Okay, that makes sense. So you can do things like that in uh, a metaverse. Just because it's digital doesn't mean like we can't place restrictions. We can't. The, the, I guess the question is like, who is placing those restrictions? Same thing. That's as- where you get into the. Yeah. Same thing as colonizing Mars. Correct. And you hear Elon and Jeff talk about that. Yep. With like the whole, well, who sets the laws there? Yeah. It's like... And it sounds like a stupid stupid question. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's like the way that we did it here probably wasn't that great. Can we talk um, about Bezos' laugh after he got back from space, though? Fantastic. It's kind of on the issue. I mean, he doesn't help himself. No. That's, no, uh, that, If yeah. people haven't seen that, I'll pull up the video. I'll put it in the corner so you can kind of watch it. But you got to listen to it yourself. When he got what was what was the story with that trip again? I'm already forgetting. What was that? Uh, what when he went to space? Yeah, and like how long was he there? Uh, not long. They just kind of went up. And... But who went up? What was it? Was first? What's his company called? Blue uh... Blue Origin. Blue Origin. It was right. um, him. I think a college kid. And then it was also like his brother or something, I think. I cannot remember. I know it's – so they put the oldest woman in space, the youngest person in space, I think. And they just – and they had and like one, pi- one pilot else? or something and they went up there for like 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. Right? So uh, – It might not have even – been 15 minutes that sounds long so how far did they go into space i don't think they went far but the idea was that you could take like a civilian trip there and come back and it's nothing 
Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, this is him and his brother getting interviewed by CBS or whatever. And they were, this is right when he got back. I think. I got to turn it up in our earbuds. Damn, that kind of looks like a dick. I mean, they all do. But yeah, that was the that was the other thing coming that, out of this. That literally looks like a dick. All right, so let's see yeah. if he's. Let's see. I think this is the end where he laughs. But you have to start. Big things start with small steps. Fuck! There's no laugh in there. He did this laugh. I want to get that. That it like if Doctor Evil were in real life, this was him. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously I pick on that guy sometimes, but <laughs> it's it's kind of hard not to with like his actions and all that shit. Yeah, you know. But he is he's one of he's in the space race right now, and he's the guy that's like trying to take us there, and so is Elon. Which, you know, I guess the competition, that aspect of it's good. But there's still, there's questions about, like, if he gets there first, who's in the jurisdiction? Who's going to make the call on what we're doing? Like, is it, is it Jeff? Is it, yeah. does he have to report back to governments? And, like, you know, then you bring in the governments. I mean, they're fucking, they're yeah, useless yeah. these days. It's a mess. It's It's a mess. But actually... Not to totally turn it, but let's turn it on that. I talked with you a lot over the past few months about data, and we've talked about it more from like the perspective of the requirements that that you need to be able to do capture on people and whatever. And that's that's one thing, and that's like your focus because it's your product. But like looking at this from a broader perspective – we have this whole argument going on in society with people fighting over the goddamn vaccine and everything, which I'm very sick of. But one of the things that is that I separate from the vaccine, I think it's it's a part of the issue, but it's not about the actual getting the vaccine or not, is the whole passport thing they're doing and all that. And so – So I am not familiar all right, so they're taught like New York and San Francisco, for example, require you to show proof of vaccination out of go places. Got it. And they're talking about implementing that across society. Now, previously, if you go to school, like you, you put your kid in schools and stuff like that, you have to say whether or not it's like a common question. It's, and it's always been accepted, except by the crazy pre COVID anti vaxxers, where it's yep. like you have to say whether they got tetanus and all that. And I've never had a problem with that, and I'm not going to. But. This one, the idea that you will have to show it to go places, I don't really, on the surface, it's an inconvenience. I don't care that much, but I know the slippery slope of it. That's where I started to go, well, what else are they then going to make you do? And now, I mean, have you seen what they're doing in Australia? Uh, no, and I feel like I probably should. Oh, Australia is insane, dude. Really? They are locking people in their houses. They had like nine COVID deaths over the summer with the new variants. And so in the city of Sydney, for example, they made people stay in their homes under military lock and guard. So the military was fucking watching from the sky in helicopters to see if people were coming out. And again, it's an unarmed society. So no one can really do anything because the guys with the guns are the government. And now in South Australia, I believe it is. We'll check it after. But they are testing out in South Australia 
a new app that the government runs that people can get checked in on randomly, maybe every 15 minutes to have to take a picture of themselves to prove where they are. And if they, are, if they don't respond to it, the government can send the police to go find their whereabouts. So you know it's funny. Ugh. So you, that sounds a little extreme <laughs> compared to a uh, friend of mine went to London. A couple of friends went to London over the past few months. Um, also, by the way, I think they just shut the border again. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, U.S. citizens cannot travel for leisure to Europe right now. Okay. Could be wrong, but I thought I saw that uh, somewhere the other day. Um, Anyway, had a couple of friends that that went to London. Um, When you land, you have those mandatory quarantine two-week period things, right? Um, Government housing kind of condo apartment situation. Every couple of hours, knock on the door, don't answer. Like alarm they they sound the siren that's hardwired through the apartment uh if you don't come up come to the door and prove that you're there um they'll they'll come after you so like every i think he was saying three to four hours even in the middle of the night so like couldn't sleep straight through the night every three hours somebody's knocking on the door um they're making sure that you're that you're in there and I think that was – that might not have been a full two weeks. That might have been a week. I don't care if it's a couple of days. But if people – That's extreme. If people can't see the precedent of these things. Yeah, yeah. And it's like police at the at the door, knocking on the door. You have like a couple minutes to respond or whatever and then they're like coming in. The power that you are willingly give – that you are willingly giving the government to do that yeah. is not – even remotely close to worth the trade-off. And it's not to say, hey, we all just got to go out there and people, everyone's got to die. That, well, that's not what it is. It is a danger. It's a da- But here's the other thing. There's a lot of misinformation on the actual vaccine itself about its efficacy and what's working. And it's driving more of that anti-vax argument and stuff. Yes, w- would I like to see a vaccine work in the sense that you never know you have the thing it's supposed to protect against if it comes into contact with your body? Sure. Is this vaccine working less technically in that department? I guess so. The data shows that. That said, in my opinion, the vac- if you look at the data, the vaccine is working because the people who are getting it, especially people who are high risk, who are vaccinated and then contract the new variants, by and large, they're doing well. It's the people who are unvaccinated who are filling the emergency rooms and leading to deaths right now. And I don't mean to be mean here, but it's going to come across how it comes across. I do believe you should have a choice what you put in your body. But I am not willing to change my life for you when you have access to this and have made a decision not to do it. That's on you. Yeah. And now we have governments telling people that because other people aren't complying, they're dragging it on to everyone else, including the rest of us who are vaccinated. And that I'm not okay with because they are now using this as a way to gain power over people, including people who take the correct steps that are at their fingertips to take and therefore then have their lives completely completely upended because other people won't do it. 
that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, just like anything, it's a it's a balance. Um, yeah. It's, so it's it's a hard topic. I, I know. It is. But I bring this up, not not to go off of it, but I bring it up because like the Australia example for for that one or even the London one if there's some sort of this tracking using technology. Yep. They are using that tech. They you are essentially the same thing we're arguing over about quote unquote vaccine passports. You kind of already have it because you have the phone in your pocket. And when it's not going to be a phone, it's going to be something else. And they can use the data to circulate where you are. And technically, you don't have any privacy. And so I'm starting to worry about like privacy has always been an issue. And there's parts of it that we just willingly give up to get access to things and benefits like you talked about. But when you start then co-inhabiting that loss of privacy with the government's ability to have access to it, that's where my alarms go up. Because now you are telling me that governments are using, in this case, in Australia, the, I guess, the iPhone or the the Apple and the Google app systems to create an app that Google and Apple have to let them create, I guess, that's probably how it works, that then, you know, they're basically commandeering those companies to use their infrastructure to control a population. And some people will say I'm being naive right now because that's already been happening for a long time. Of course it has. But this is the issue. This is what Snowden tried to point out. This is what in the past we seem would like the San Bernardino situation with Apple not turning over that guy's cell phone to the government where the government wanted it, at least publicly said they did. You know, we're going backwards. And you're in the middle of that world. You're not Apple. You're not Google. You're not building that, but you're you're part of building a new infrastructure here. And the question of, you know, to what extent do people tap on your shoulder from powerful organizations? And by that, I usually mean the government who don't have the right intentions in mind. To what extent does that then affect guys like your ability to make a decision that's best for people or best for the company? To what extent has that happened so far? Do you anticipate that happening? I imagine it hasn't happened a ton yet. Or it's happened a little bit. Really? Yeah. Um, Can you go into that? I don't know how much I should. Um, yeah, I, I mean, nothing nothing terrible. Um, but yeah, has has happened a little. Um, I... Don't it hasn't impacted any decisions that I've made. Um that I can happily say. Um and I would like to think that if it did, it would be a good thing. But I also am aware that it probably will not always be that. Um I, I truly do not know. Um I do have friends that are in or have been in those positions before. Um, I'll say one of them, uh, was not forced, but chose to sell a very fast growing company. He made a lot of money. It was a nine figure, uh, sale, but, um, chose to sell, uh, versus make some difficult decisions, uh, 
that may or may not have been like against morals, against et cetera, et cetera. Wait a second. You're, if I'm understanding that correctly, you're saying that he was forced into a cell with a private entity where the connotation was that the government, wherever it was, was pressing upon that sale to be made so that they would have access to whatever it was. No, so so there was there was a lot of pressure to provide uh access to data that he did not want to provide access to. Um and I think it at a certain point, he chose to sell. I think it became this is this is going to be an ongoing battle, and I have to decide whether um, I am the one to fight this war or if I should sell this to somebody that I know will fight this war with me or for me, kind of thing. Um, they weren't huge. They were extremely valuable, but not huge. Um, and I think at a certain point it was, um, I can't take this war on myself, that kind of thing. Um, so he chose to sell it. And then I think once he was comfortable that it was in good hands, um, the tech, um, he is, I think he's building another company now, but, um, how comfortable can you be that something's in good hands, though? That's a really fair question. Never. I I think uh, there were two parts to it. One, it was um, access to data ongoing mm-hmm. and the the use to be, or um, I guess the fear that you could use um, information already gathered or that you may gather in the future um, for things that are bad. Um, But also he was like, that whole company was built on transparency to customers. So his company was, or the new one that was buying him. No, well, I kind of both of them, but the first one more so, or his more so. So that, that was like his golden rule was like, we play in gray areas um, I'm going to be extremely transparent because these are gray areas. So uh, I think we might've talked about this before, but like great example, the capture, uh, a 3d model of the inside of your home. Is that personally owned or is that owned by the company? Is that owned by anybody? Should that be public? These are like difficult questions and it's somewhat gray area, Right. Um, I might be able to publicly find a floor plan of a house or or like, uh, technical drawings, I guess. I'm not sure if that's public, but I'm sure you could dig it up online. Uh, a 3d map of your space, uh, everything in it manipulable. Like we're starting to get a little, no, I I like this. This is good. I, I think, I think it. The main thing you have to remember is that this all breaks down into eras. 
So Internet 1.0 was introducing the Internet. And the gray area of that introduction was what happens when we all have the ability to actually connect in a community that isn't in the real world and that can instantaneously bring a bunch of different countries around the world together. Internet 2.0 was the social revolution. So the gray area there was what happens to our personalities and the way we think when we create massive opportunities for groupthink in an entirely new world. Internet 3.0 is the reality gray area. And the answer, the question that we have there is that what happens when we start to bring things together that aren't real and tell people that they are? What effect does that have on human beings? This is a wild thing to consider. And my thought is that you will see people continue just as they have in the first two to just go with the flow. And you will even see that with companies like your buddies right there, which is a part of the quote-unquote business capitalism system of it and going with the flow of the fact that you're going to have offers and everyone has a number. You know, and there there comes a point where it's like, well, you know what? I think I go, I will go build the next thing. I'll cash out on this one. I think it's in good hands and I'll move on. The problem is you think it's in good hands. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But you let it out of your hands. It's someone else's now. And so the tool that's used there, and it's someone's going to use something for bad, as we already talked about. Yeah. But like the tools that you use there, like... He can say all day, and I'm not ripping this guy. I, I understand yeah, exactly yeah. where he's coming from. And, like, if I were talking with him, I'd say it just like this. It's not... Well, so it, it came from a point of, like, I know I can't win this battle. And that's... An, I wasn't even going to say that, but that's another point. Because if he's sitting there going, I know no matter what, if I take a moral stand, it's not going to matter in six months. Correct. Or I can do this. And then, they have a fighting chance. I may not. No, that's fair. Yeah. And so in that case, he made the right decision. Yeah. But the honesty or question of the honesty around I'm always going to be transparent with this company, I believe him in intent, but the final result is going to be not that if you're faced with that type of scenario because once you start to get to a scenario where where you're going to give it up, well, now you can't guarantee transparency, and I guarantee you you're not getting it. Like I, I'm going to take the the more not optimistic side there and say – they're not carrying on wherever he sold it to. They're not carrying that on, at least in the full vision that he had it. No. You know, I, that's why I also respect these places that frankly generate like a lot of hate because of it. But you see places like, let's use 8chan, for example, which essentially like hatched QAnon, which we can all agree, I hope, that was bad. Like, well, you don't want to see that. That's a bad community that formed. It's people that are desperate for something, cling on to something and have all these ideas. And it shows you how manipulable so many people are. But the fact that it was a forum that was open to everything made at an 8chan, I mean, made 8chan unique. And I appreciate that with a with a now internet forum that seems to be closing everything because there are still the internet is still an open place so when people want to find a way to meet they can and i think brady burkett said it in here he said it brilliantly i agree with him he's like if they're going to do it i want them doing it where i can see them yeah you know and that's like that's the other thing like people who really thought trump was bad for twitter i'll even agree with you he was but like don't you want him where you can see him don't you want him where it's like you know what he's doing i don't know what he's doing right now <laughs> 
You know, yeah, it might yeah. not be bad. It might it, it 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 might be fine. Like he's probably done. Hopefully that is the case. But like, you don't see it. You don't yeah. know what's going on. So what did you really accomplish with that? And it comes back to censorship. Obviously, that's what I'm talking about here. But the we have this world that has the ultimate transparency and is even talking about ridiculous transparency, like some of the things you have to think about, with a world that's also closing down transparency and telling you you can't do it in certain instances. And it's the same, like that's a conundrum we have that's opposites. And another conundrum is decentralization becoming more centralized. You yep. know, we, we, we're talking about decentralization with currency, cryptocurrencies and things like that and Bitcoin and stuff that I believe in, in a world that is also more and more controlled by few, you know, these companies yep. in this case, who are then hand in hand with the government and everything, every deal ends up coming back to them because they have the greatest economies of scale and the greatest connections. Yeah. It's money. It's power. It's uh impact can be scary do you ever talk about this like with some of those guys because i know you got guys at these companies no no very very rarely i I mean i could probably count on one hand the number of conversations um you mean like folks at like the Mm -hmm. like big yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah 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 um definitely not at like uh director higher level sure is the other thing and it's got to be said is that there's no telling that it wouldn't be the right move for you if the right opportunity came around to sell to a big company like that especially if they threatened your ability to exist at all in which case it becomes the exact question your friend had like well it's going to happen anyway yeah. Do I want to make a moral stand and be the idiot that it didn't do anything and and I got nothing? Or do I want to be like, all right, well, at least this will fund my ability to move up with the next project and maybe I'll be at a point where I don't have to take that kind of deal? Well, so we've already seen – we've seen M&A interest. I don't know how much I've said to you, but – Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we've, we've been there a little bit. Um I don't expect that to slow down. I think it's probably going to pick up. Um, if you look at it in, in reality, it's it's super attractive to any number of them. Any big tech company making a significant investment in AR, VR right now um, or spatial uh, computing or uh, next generation of media or – any of those areas, this is a good acquisition for them. Depending on the number. Depending on the number. Yeah, yeah. And I think for us, it's like, um, don't get me wrong, that's like a, because this is probably a quite quite a large win uh, to most. Um, sure, sure. But I think, um, I mean, I don't see any reason why uh, can't be a large public company. Yeah, because each one of these companies did have to avoid that. Yeah. At some point. Even Apple, yeah, yeah. like back in the day, had to avoid giving in to the number and selling. They had to have, whether you agree with what it turned out to be or not, they had to have some sort of greater vision that, like, no, we're going to pave the way. We're going to be that. So, like, yeah. you know, you got 
your Apple, you have your Facebook, you have your Google, you have your Amazon, you have your Airbnb. They all managed to stay the course and maybe take a huge risk in doing that, that they were going to get beat or beaten by larger economies of scale that other companies have. And yet they managed to hang in there and then become that company. Yeah. I mean, do you, is that the ultimate goal if you had your choice? Ultimate goal of what? Like, would that be what you want? Large public company. Yeah. Goal for the company? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's like, I could see it as a very real possibility. I'm also not naive though. I know there are quite a few companies that, um, this would be very valuable for that. It's probably a good fit. Um, uh, that will probably use it in the right ways. And if everything made sense and, got to go there and continue to run it or head up product or something like that. Right. Um, there's a lot, I guess there's a lot to think about. Um, but I, I wouldn't be, um, naive and say I would never, you know, we we would never look at that. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can't say we look at it if it's, if it's serious and we've looked at them before and, uh, we'll continue to. You're also under a requirement to your investors to do that. Yeah. You can't just say, fuck it. Like, you have to at least look. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, selfishly, I I hope it goes the way of the ultimate goal, which is that you carve your own way, because you're also doing something different here. We'll see how this show goes. Obviously, we're getting there, right? Yeah. If I could just keep doing this, like, that's the dream. That's, and that's, fuck it, I'm not going to fail. Like, we're going to keep rolling. But you're doing this format. You're on record. This is now your second time doing it. And as people can tell, I ask you whatever the hell I want to ask you. Sometimes yeah, there's yeah. something that you can't give, you know, some sort of detail on. And we say that, but this is an open forum where you're just shooting the shit and talking about it. And as far as I can tell, maybe there's an example out there I'm unaware of, but in a f- platform like this, that's not some fucking, you know, production at CBS or something like that, I don't think there are there are people who have now made it big names in tech like Zuckerberg, Chesky, something like that, that have the record of doing this while they're building even Musk, you know, with Rogan. Cause he gets pretty, gets pretty real on those yeah, yeah. after the fact, but he's in the middle of doing a lot of shit and it's cool. And that's why a lot of people, he's a lightning rod, but a lot of people really trust him and like him because he tells you what he's doing. You know, there's not, you don't worry. Most people do not think about the ulterior motives quote unquote, of Elon Musk, like they do of Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos, because Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos don't do this. No, no, it's silence. You know, so I appreciate the fact that you're on record talking about these things out loud because people can see where that decision, that tough decision is. And you're kind of talking them through it before it happens, whatever way it goes. You know, so I I think, like, let's, let's paint a scenario here. And let's say two different scenarios. First one is two years from now, you guys sell, you sell to Facebook and you're in there running product. You're on record talking about that that could happen and you're talking about what you would want to see from it. And so people can say like, okay, he got offered a lot of money, so he's going to go along with some things in there. But at the very least, they know that you already said, hey, that's a possibility and here's why I would do it. So they appreciate that 
level of the transparency, and then they hope for the best, and they hope it's like you hope it's going to be in there. The second scenario is we're sitting here two years from now, and you're the new Airbnb for this space, and you've now the new Facebook, whatever. You've carved your own way, and now you have this power because you're running this company that's fucking changing the world. And people can go back and look at this and see how you were thinking about doing it and see even the level of concern you have, even if you're numb to some of it, the level of concern you have for what the rights of people are going to be yeah. and what what the right way to use this technology is. You're thinking about that. Well, so that that's the other thing that I was going to say. Even if I don't respond in depth um, – these are things that are like very much top of mind. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's, um, I, I think it'll be cool to see. Um, I do think there's some appeal to building in the dark. Mm -hmm. Um, what Elon does opens himself up to, uh, extreme criticism. And I think, uh, so he gets he gets a ton of praise and it's awesome, right? I'm a huge Elon fan. I love the way that he operates. I like how he's blunt. He's he's brutally honest. Um, he's a little aggressive on timelines. I tend to be the same way. So mm -hmm. sometimes you get hung up on that, but realistically, um, I, I I like it. There are downsides to it. The other thing, uh, like going on Joe Rogan, can that event can be called a distraction, right? Sure. So this is the same kind of thing that um, I think about. Uh, and part of why it took me a while to do things uh, like this, um, it's not because I don't want to. It's not because I don't have a lot to say or uh, actually I have quite a bit to say. Yes. But, um, and have learned a lot and would love to share things like that. I think this has been a blast. Um, but there's this like, and it might just be some sort of mental block uh, myself too, but as the company grows, there's more and more, uh, we'll call them key stakeholders, right? Like mm -hmm. from uh, shareholders to employees, to advisors, uh, board of directors, et cetera. And all of these people, um, th there's like a reasonable expectation that you're going to do everything you can all the time uh, to ensure the success of the company. So like, I think that for me for a while was like a block. It was like doing something that isn't, you don't see immediate uh, value in is like maybe something I shouldn't be doing. Or a downside. You see potential downside in it. Yeah, yeah. Correct. That's the other thing, right? Uh, could it be a liability instead of uh, an asset? It's because you're not viewed because you haven't been public. You're not viewed yet. Maybe in the private circles that are aware of you, like outside your company, like investors, stuff like that. You're not yeah, viewed yeah. as irreplaceable yet. Elon is irreplaceable because he's been there, done that, right? You're doing yeah. it. Once you have that demonstrated brand power and demonstrated ability to get the result, 
you won't have to think about that as much. You you can think of it in the context of how much of a distraction do I want to be yeah. for certain things. Like, well, how much bullshit do I want to openly bring on? That's still a question, the downside question. Yeah. But there's less of a question of self-preservation of if I do this, I may lose it. Like, no, you're not. You, yeah. you are going to be able to, you know, as long as you're not out there committing crimes and shit like that, like yeah. you're going to be able to do what you want to do. You know, it's interesting that that actually doesn't bug me. I completely get that. And I'm sure uh, part of me uh, doesn't do things like that's definitely a reason that I think about. But I don't I don't think that like blocks me that that doesn't that doesn't bother me that much. Like if I um, I the reality is like I am replaceable to some degree. Right. Like I could give you 50 reasons in 30 seconds as to why, like, I think I can do what I'm doing better than anybody else can uh, and why that should be the case for a very long time. Um, but I also know if there's a reason or if at some point was not uh, true anymore, then like I would I would want that to change. Does that make sense? So, yes. So if I go and do something stupid or say something stupid, like I'm bringing it upon myself, I would expect that to happen. Um, again, maybe that's just like uh, I'm a little bit harsh on like personal performance and mm -hmm. things like that. But um, yeah. Yeah. So it, that doesn't bug me as much, but it, it is the reality too. So in some way, even subconsciously, it's something you think about. Like, I don't want, A, I don't want to be distracted because there is a reasonable expectation that I am doing these things, but also because I will personally feel like I am not doing enough if that is uh, how uh, external parties or internal parties are taking it. Right? You, know, you know what, though? Let's Let's just use the Elon example you brought up. When you create a lightning rod of a situation like that like going on joe rogan smoking weed like the ultimate lightning yeah, rod yeah. of a situation Some balls yeah you were going to guarantee that among the general public a lot of people are going to hate you including people who are in and around directly invested in tesla or powerful people including who are have some ability to impact your bottom line customers whatever all this stuff However, you are also going to guarantee that you are going to get an Illuminati of people who fucking love you and you can do no wrong, which is a dangerous – if you're not a good person, that's a dangerous thing to get. If you look at someone like Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg though who don't do publicity, powerful people like that, what is our automatic opinion of them across the majority of society? Yeah. We don't like them. Yeah, yeah. They don't get upside. Because they don't do anything. Like they may be a distraction if they do stupid shit like go smoke weed on Joe Rogan. <laughs> but they're also going to get a lot of lovers. Yeah, yeah. Elon gets a lot of lovers and then plays into that by being this openly transparent guy. Fucking Trump, when he won office, did the same thing. Yeah. Think about all the times he shot himself in the foot. He was able to take two steps forward to win office because he did so many things that people found endearing or loved about, including flaws, you know, whereas all these other buttoned up politicians were like, don't make a mistake. Don't talk to them about this. Don't lose script on this. They got punished for that. Well, that was, yeah. So that, that was one of the things I was going to say. I think that's 
like the biggest reason um when when you see Mark or Jeff do uh like press conferences and stuff, it's either they're talking at the dev conferences that they hold. They're announcing prepared, new products. Questions. Yeah, yeah. And it's very like scripted. Or uh something catastrophic uh happened and they're uh playing damage control. Right? It, it's like never the brutally honest in the middle. I think that was one of the coolest things about Clubhouse um, in the early days of Clubhouse, too. And I'll be honest, I haven't been on there very much. RIP Clubhouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Um, when they had, when Shriram, uh, who I think he's a partner in uh, Andreessen now. Yes, yes. Um, when he had Mark on, it still felt a bit robotic. Mm-hmm. But you could tell he was starting to get to the point uh, where he would just have a conversation. It was cool. And then he would divert back to like, okay, I'm reading off of like bullet points that somebody's telling me to say or whatever. But um, that was like the first of that you, you at least for me, I had seen. Um, it I was think better Bezos than the was base. on there too. It was better than the base. I agree yeah. with you. Yes. Uh, and Elon, it's like, it's just wildly different. Even if you're just shooting the shit, it's right off the top of the brain. He's not thinking about it. Um or if he thinks about it, it almost feels like he's overthinking it. Um, and by overthinking, I mean like uh, every situation playing out in front of you uh, before you do something. If this makes sense to you, there is a tone. There's something in somebody's voice before you even see them on camera, which is another thing Clubhouse didn't have that hurts. Yeah. But there is just a thing that we can, as humans, pick up on where we know whether or not the face just went on or you're getting the good, bad, and indifferent of exactly what this person is. And like with Elon, he had the famous clubhouse one where he came on for the first time after the Robin Hood thing and then pulled Vlad in. And you listen to him, he sounds like almost like a little kid, like just like, ah, fuck it, let's do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think he was even cursing a little bit too. He was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like so as Vlad came in, he's like, what? So what the fuck happened? Exactly. <laughs> Whereas when you well, heard Zuckerberg in there, I agree with you when he was in there that one time, it did. he was in there for like an hour. Yeah. So it wasn't this bullshit 10-minute CBS production. It was more off the cuff. You still felt like, though, the robot came on, number one. And number two, he was definitely told ahead of time. And we don't know that, but he was definitely told ahead of time, like, here's the different subcategories we're going to go into. Here's some questions you yeah, can expect. Definitely. You know what I mean? Whereas Elon subjects himself to, like, Rogan, where, you know, some people argue with this, but go listen to that first one. Yeah. yeah. That was the most off-the-cuff fucking thing. You'll ever, like, I do this for a living. I know, like, what yeah. that is. It's off-the-cuff. Like, yeah. might he have said, told him ahead of time, here's a few things I'll definitely go into? Absolutely. But when you sit down with someone for two and a half, three hours, you know it now, too. Like, yeah, buttons are going to get pushed, man. Like, yeah, it's yeah, not... Just run. You're free-flowing. Yeah. So, and I give you a lot of credit for doing that, because... You came on when I'm a nobody. I'm still a nobody right now, but I'm less of a nobody than last time. And this does live forever. It's online. You know what I mean? Yeah. So someone, some kid's going to be looking at you 10 years from now. And maybe you're 
you're now Anthony Fenu. It's like Zuck and Fenu or whatever. You know what I mean? But they're going to be able to point to something like this. Whereas with Zuck, they're only going to be able to point to bullshit conferences, sit downs with Gail King, you yeah, know, yeah. Karish Wisher, prepared questions. It's controlled not situations. controlled yep. situations. So I think that there's, is there downside to it? Sure. But you can create your own Illuminati following through that of people who actually feel like they know you and understand you. I mean, look at Pomp in the crypto space. Yeah. He's done that effectively because he's been a man of the people on Twitter. And he, he is, even though his podcast is very regimented and it's a similar length every time and it's, you know, certain things are always going to be asked of people. He's out there. He's talking with people. He's in the communities. He's having the conversation. He's doing the fucking pizza in Central Park with people. He's a human, you yeah. know. And he happens to be a pretty powerful venture capitalist now at this point, too. There aren't enough guys who are leveraging that and doing that, you know. So I appreciate the fact that you're doing it, being someone in that world and whatever. And, and you, as you said, were always careful about what press you did. And you actually did no press for like two years ahead of doing this. Yep. But the first time you jump back in is in a scenario where you didn't know what was coming. Yeah. I mean, I... I told you, I, was like, I just talk with people and you actually watched like all my podcasts before that. So you knew exactly what it was. Yeah. And you were yeah. like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I walked into a couple of like uh, quotes in articles and stuff like tech articles um, by accident. Um, I think Baker did too. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He sent me a link to something one day. It was like an AI article on TechCrunch. And uh, I'm like, what? What is this? Like, yeah, man, I got quoted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I, I talked to so and so over there, and he uh, he tossed me in. I'm like, okay, <laughs> <It's> random. <laughs> Probably had no idea who he was talking to. Yeah, uh, no, no. We just, I think he was at some party in Silicon Valley or something. <laughs> <laughs> at some bar, and somebody asked him who he was, and he was, oh my god, okay. Oh, by the way, I'm writing a story. That's a bad Jesus story. Christ. <laughs> Bad start. Yeah. Right. But anyway, yeah, that that was like the first time I had uh, done anything. Um, and it was an absolute blast and happy to be back. And yeah, th thank you. That yeah. was, it was, that was a key episode here. That was something that really started to, I think, looking in the context of it, knowing what I know now and knowing from people who've adopted the show and, and all the listeners out there, that's something that really early on was the first stick your finger up in the air like that and yeah. see where the wind's going. And people started to take things somewhat seriously here, which was cool because it was, you could tell what it was. And I, yeah. I also, and I'm glad it happened this way. You and I talked on the phone before and I had a concept of what you were doing. And I was like, Oh wow. Then you sent me an email with some links and shit that I also purposely didn't look at some of them. I never told you that, but it was, it was kind of funny to look at afterwards. But I went in there really eyes wide shut, and I was legitimately finding out on the podcast, like, oh, wait a second. Oh, this is, like, legit. Oh, yeah. wow. You know, and I think that that ended up, in hindsight, being a good decision because I had a lot of basic questions on things because I really didn't know. And then you got really deep in some of those answers. And so people are hearing this, like, holy shit, this guy's, yeah. this guy's inventing the metaverse. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like... I like having that, but it's also a matter of like what people are going to give you. And you were very 
you know, there's when it comes to funding and stuff like that, you have to be confidential about things. We know yeah, that. Yeah. Like, that's fine. I don't think people really give a shit about that. But, you know, when it came to details of what you're looking at and how it works and explaining compression like a pipe and, and how your pipe plays into the other pipes and stuff like that, people hear that and they're like, oh, wow, like he's actually he's divulging here. You know, this is not this is this is a real time, real conversation about it. And then you also generate those fans I talked about from that because now people you're on their their radar and you had mentioned something about this I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes ago something like that it all blends together but you had said like you've done everything to kind of stay out of the spotlight yeah you're known in the communities that are important when you got to talk to a prominent venture capitalist who we all know their name from the public they know who you are that's what matters to you right but you're you guys are not Instagram influencers, far from it. <laughs> you guys also manage to, as I call it, be three assholes in Jersey, just chilling, like in a house, away from Silicon Valley, still away from Miami, though I know, you know, that's certainly a temptation. Yeah, yeah, that one hurts. Right, but point is, everyone else zigs, and you guys have been content and not hurt by zagging and kind of staying in your own... Actually, I don't want to call it your own bubble, Managing to stay outside of that bubble yeah. and continue to kind of just build on your own and things like that. But you're talking about how that naturally, and we touched this last time, but now we're closer to it. That's coming towards an end. And there's a benefit in that people in pop culture who you want to work with, they're going to know who you are. Yeah. Your reputation will precede you. You won't have to sell them. You know, it's going to be like, oh, that's the hologram guy. Yeah, let me talk to him. Right? You have a lot of leverage. You also then have leverage to control narratives in public. You can even do it coming in here by how you answer questions I ask you or what you bring up or talking with TechCrunch, whoever it is. You have more like, oh, Anthony Fenu or Riley Horvath or Justin Baker got quoted. Let's check that out. Like people, there's yeah, the yeah. recognition. But the downside is you also now have in that situation, you're going to have the spotlight on you and you're going to have, you're going to be open to criticism and people are going to form narratives against you. And until you do a lot, like demonstrate a lot, a lot that changes the game, there is early on leverage that say the media or people that don't give a fuck about your interests are going to yeah. have against you. So have you thought, a ton about that seeing as it's like you're on the doorstep of it and do you think that that's gonna it's gonna change how you run the day-to-day -day operations of the company or do you feel like you can kind of keep it flowing how you are and just have a pr team as well to kind of duck and cover um it's a good question um i think i've put maybe one percent of thought to it um so very little. I think it's happening quick. Uh, the the couple of things that we did do um, have been awesome. So naturally, want to keep doing them again. Want to be conscious of how we do things. Um, like what kinds of things? Though? Anything. Like, well, from a company perspective, what we release, when we release it. I think we should – we kind of have like a this big backlog from, um, I don't know, co cool people that we work with to um, a handful of amazing investors that have 
pretty large names, yeah, like, things like that that um we can start to talk about. I think everybody is okay with us talking about them. It's just uh, we never did. So it just became. I think it just became assumed that like, all right, they're just gonna they're just gonna keep it on the low for now. Um, I actually had a conversation with somebody about this the other day and he was like, yeah, man, like go out and talk to people. Like, you can tell them that I'm involved. Do, do, All right, do fuck as you it. please. Who was that? Uh, I'll give you another just, one. Cause we're, you just got backed into a corner. I know. We put together a release though. Uh, okay. Is well, that, is that release coming out within a week? Two weeks. I'm going to hold you to that. Two weeks. Yeah. It's not out. And I would have just you. burned our first release. Okay. Almost did it. Uh, give, yeah. give another one though. That's not a release. Um, you can. Be an investor, client, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Also, well, Trigger uh, Agency in Los Angeles is the first physical studio set up, uh, or second physical studio. And I've heard of that. What's, what's their Angeles? background? So Trigger is an immersive agency. Okay. Um, we've been working with. Uh, pretty much the whole team over there, but Jason, the uh, CEO and Ryan Holman on the um, immersive production and technical team is fantastic. When you say agency, can you explain to people what you mean there? Yeah. So like a content creation, they'll create uh, immersive content. They'll build brand experiences. Uh, they do deployments with uh, large brands, th things like that. So, uh, using your software. Yeah, yeah. So customers include uh, like uh, Verizon, uh, AT&T. I'm pretty sure they work with most of the big ISPs, um, like beverage brands. So what kinds of things would they be creating? I won't use Verizon because there's a lot of different things there. AT&T, yeah, yeah. what kinds of things would they be creating for them? Well, so they, they do a lot of like marketing, advertising campaigns, physical activations, things like that. Got it. Um, Okay. And then they'll build like like a physical activation might have some utility. So an example, um, like golf. Mm -hmm. So swing analysis. Um, I know that's a physical activation that um, they're working on uh, with like a couple of PGA guys and um, I believe a large basketball, well-known basketball player. Um but, I know who that is. Are you saying who that is though? Because you told me. I know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Who who sh who can you talk? About? I'm I trying to say. give. The, I'm trying to give the people something now. I could talk about a couple of our uh, investors, advisors. Who yeah, let's just do been that. Fantastic. Let's start there. Uh, Sandeep Kumar from Nightscape Ventures in uh, out in Austin. Um, okay. And then uh, Luke Lloyd Davies from Elton John's family office, um, and so Elton John's invested in Soar. Yeah, and then it's fucking awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's super cool. I don't think we've ever said that publicly. There we go. <laughs> um, right, that's go. a big one. That's yeah, a good yeah. one. Um, yeah, and there's there's a, a handful of them that <laughs> have been fantastic. Um, so. Yeah, it's super exciting. We're surrounded by great people. Um, and I think everybody's got a common goal and just super excited. Now, like Elton John's a perfect example, though, because 
all right, he's got, and a lot of people don't know this about some of these guys, but like he's a good example. He's got a great family office, very interested yeah. in tech and investing and all kinds of shit. But he's also, even though he's older, he's he's a legend and he's he's music, right? He's, yeah. a, he's a creator. He's the exact type of person you want to work with. So not only do you get someone personally invested in your success, but then they also are invested in wanting to use the product and bring it to the world. Yeah. So like, I, I know you guys have been thinking about a lot of different things and there's nothing like concrete like that you're going to do first, but just on like a broad level, I assume within Elton John among the types of things you can consider is that, okay, let's figure out how to put you in concert in all different places for people. Is that something that he's automatically interested in? Um, I wouldn't say like automatically interested. So um, you got to sell him on that a little bit. I th I think it's like a like what's what's happening at the time is this like a a thing that makes sense for what I'm doing right now right like so uh, he's going into a new again I don't know how much of this is okay public but yeah be careful he's we'll releasing um, some music yeah he announced that the other day okay you're right. okay cool 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 was yeah. the whole thing. He announced it. I'm not, don't, don't say, but I know, I remember because <laughs> there were several Got stories it. about it. Yeah. Like on Instagram. I put one on my Instagram. Yes, I just can't remember what was, yeah. Just, he it. released something. We'll leave it at yep, that. Yep. So we have no gray area there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so like some things attached to that um, would be great timing. Got it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so like, uh, also like that's a, that's a group too. So Luke, uh, who, who do you mean it's a group? So well, there's the, the family office, but uh, Luke, who runs the family office, also runs um, or is the COO of Rocket Entertainment Group, which is him, uh, Elton, and David Furnish. Um, and, His husband. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Rocket Entertainment is like they've done uh, movies, they've done uh, TV shows, uh, they have the the record label. Um, a few things you can have, do there. Yeah, right. So, uh, like, pretty deep, and and it's super strategic. So, um, yeah, and Luke's been awesome. The whole everybody there has been great. See, that's a home run. Yeah, They're, like it's just it, if you can get him to invest a dollar, just like it's a home run. Yeah, yeah, and and that's like the um, so we I connected with. Uh, them through uh, another investor, advisor, and good friend now um, who runs a venture fund in New York, um, New York and London. Um, is that Nick, who I think it is? Nick Shecker Demian, no, uh, who is an absolute killer. Um, yeah, it, he's been he's been fantastic. So he's built a couple of companies. Um, now he runs a venture fund. Um, he does big SPVs all the time. I think he, um, I don't know, they're, they're investors in like BlockFi, um, Axiom Space, did a $100, $150 million round. Um, cu couple of big, couple of big names. Got it. I just put a, something on the screen there for you. That's not him, right? I don't want to say that out loud. Oh, no. I, but can totally talk about uh, Aaron, too. All right, let's do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Aaron Lee Zucker was one of the early 
Um, he was one of the early guys at PayPal. And then from PayPal... Wait, he was in the PayPal mafia? He was not in the mafia. He was like one of their... Yeah, yeah. Like when you think of the mafia, employees. you think about like Max Levchin, yeah. Reed Hoffman. Elon. Yeah, yeah. Peter I, Thiel. You know, it's funny. I think we actually ran through all these names last podcast. We did. Too. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he was not in the mafia, but he was pretty early employee number five that kind of deal yeah yeah he, he was pretty low i don't i don't actually know the number and i can't remember the. Year. that's fine i'm just saying like but yeah, yeah early employee yeah so he was an early employee at paypal um he built merchant services at paypal um which is now huge right um then after paypal um he ended up at activision um, and he led Call of Duty. Um, he led the revamp of Call of Duty when they started to ship really late. It was just like a, uh, dare I say, dumpster fire. Um, so he, he led the revamp of engineering at Activision. Um, I believe he was uh, like the interim CTO for a while uh, or for, for a bit. Um, he was. So he the, made Call of Duty what it is. Yeah, he, effectively, uh, or a good way to say it is he kept it from absolutely tanking. Because I think I think what was happening at the time, and um, I'm probably going to mess this up, but I think uh, somewhere along the way they started to get really backed up on releases, like extremely backed up, um, and it was kind of like a like a critical uh, inflection point where they were either going to do some sort of turnaround uh, revamp things and pull it back up and then hit releases on time, or it was going to absolutely tank. They were going to release even more uh, planned games way late. Like we're talking like a year plus Mm -hmm. late. Um, So went through that, uh, helped revamp Call of Duty, stayed at Activision for a bit, um, and has just been an absolute, uh, guru. He's, he's one of the smartest people that I know. Um, again, good friend, advisor. Um, yeah. Uh, is he an investor too? Or? Yeah, he is. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, well, so that's, that's kind of the thing. It's, um, it's like a natural fit, right? Like, oh uh, yeah. And this, this happens with, with us too. It's like, if you're going to put a bunch of time in um, advising, you you want financial upside, right? Like, what's the easiest way to get financial upside? Um, cut a check, become a uh, some type of owner, right? I think it's also though you're thinking about not just who's going to cut a check and then be invested in like the success, but who ha- who's still in that type of position of power because obviously they spent years getting there and they've done a lot of work yeah, yeah. who still has the drive to like be kind of boots on the ground with you too you well know? yeah that, and it sounds like he's that guy yeah yeah that's that's the thing and and so it's ironic he he actually just started another <laughs> he started another company no shit yeah yeah what are they doing? recently um he is super stealth so mm-hmm. i don't know much about it okay um yeah i i kind of I, I wish I knew a little bit more. I'm sure I'll pry some more out of him, but um, I know it's it's in biohacking, um, oh, which is super oh. interesting. Uh, 
He is a guru in the space. I know absolutely nothing. Is he a CRISPR guy? Um, I have no clue. Uh, but Anthony, you got to get informed on that space, I, man. Yeah, I don't don't know much about it. Um, feel like I've had my head in the weeds there, but I I would back Alz on anything. He's an absolute killer. Um, wow. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but overall, he's he's been fantastic, uh, both as an advisor to the company, but like personally too. Um, I think he helped. I know he helped a lot with personal growth over the past uh, year, longer. Um, set uh, some like, I guess we'll call it infrastructure for like movement toward mindfulness and awareness and uh, that whole journey has been super interesting uh super eye-opening for me and extremely helpful for uh high performance and like a founder like a founder whisperer kind of deal yeah 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 like a like a i guess we'll call it a coach of sorts yeah um exactly yeah he's just a guru so on top of having been there multiple times um he's much further along in like the uh process i guess you could say another guy i'm thinking of and i just want to make sure before i say this i don't have to edit anything just like we did with the other guys which was good yep but your friend in australia with the uh coding yeah, yeah, Connor. Okay, all right, so yeah, we, yeah. we can talk about him? Yeah, yeah, we keep his last name out. Okay, so Connor Sorry. is, he's an engineer that's worked for you guys who's a genius, and he's not like 10 either, He's he's been around. Yep. Who was a part of leading up the team within your company that found that quote-unquote compression algorithm in 2018 that, is now patented as among compression. It's the fastest compression algorithm in the world for, cause there's all different types for specifically live streaming holograms. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Roughly speaking. Yeah. It's, okay. it's also the only one that a G is live. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah. it is its own thing and yep. it is property of you guys because as a yeah. part of your, your team along with Connor put it together and Connor has I don't have the rankings in front of me, so I, I, I don't want to say for sure. But roughly speaking, if you go on to GitHub and you look at the compression rankings of open source, meaning not patented, they're available for anyone to use, of compression around the world for different use cases, that guy is all over the board. He owns like the top a lot of the top 20, as I understand. Yeah, so I forget exactly... Um... I forget exactly what it is, but um, there is there's like some some sort of compression ranking where he's been going back and forth with this company. It's quite literally a company, and that is like their core. <laughs> and they work on it, and they ship updates regularly. And he'll go on. He he waits. It's like a cruel game. <laughs> <laughs> he'll wait. And then like, uh, I forget when the last time he did it was, but uh, it might have been like, um, I don't know, one of the last holidays. It was just like, yeah, by the way, I'm going to take an extra day. They're starting to do okay. I'm going to crush them again. <laughs> 
and then he'll just like turn up the heat and absolutely absolutely demolish them and if you go in there it's people like who the fuck is this guy because there's an it's open a single source. person no well it is all of that is but there's but it's is. still the, it's the fact that like you have a team of fucking people that are like doing this all the time and then connor in a weekend can beat him and connor in a weekend can set them fucking six months back why are they doing an open source if they're a company well, it might not be their core, you know? Why like are they, they doing anything open source, though? Well, there's a ton of companies that do... I mean, we could open source a bunch of shit. I know, but at that level, like with that kind of thing. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a, that's where it gets into proprietary. You know what I mean? You can. Well, so, like, like we have proprietary stuff that um, will contribute to the Volumetric Format Association. You know, it's, it's like not, so it's what ingredients you give that are going to threaten the company versus what ingredients you can give that are just for the good of the space and you're going to be all right. Correctly. Okay. Yeah. yeah or correct. Yeah. You just, you just like kind of pick and choose, obviously what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Um, and, uh, you, you ultimately, you want to help the community too. So even if it was something that like you could make money on, you could make a lot of money on. If you're going to make a lot of money on a lot of other things, mm. you pick and choose and you're like, all right, well, will this dramatically increase the amount of content that's being created because now people can create more content yeah. or whatever that chain might look like? There's probably some ancillary benefit to just like open sourcing it. This guy, and I don't know him, but everything I've heard about him, I like him. He's, yeah, yeah. he's interesting. He's He strikes me as a real fuck it kind of rebel. In a lot of ways, is that somewhat fair to say? It's interesting because there's like two, there's like two dynamics there. One of them is like, fuck it, rebel. And the other side that's constantly pulling is like perfection. It's mm. it's it's super interesting. Um, but yeah, he's he's like very meticulous, very. Uh, Everything needs to be like perfect, but you pull the other way and it's like, fuck it. This is far from perfect. Let's just run it. It's working. Mm, Got it. Let's go. Conundrum. Move, move, move. <laughs> yeah. Got yeah. It. It's, I mean, it's a good thing. You, you actually like, I, I would prefer that dynamic over anything. Cause it's like, if I need to move quickly to get something to a customer or to do whatever, or some, some shit breaks and like, I got to fix it real fast. Like, I want to get that out as quick as possible. It does not need to be perfect. It just needs to be marginally better than whatever we fucked up last time, right? Like that's a situation where moving quickly is perfect. On the other side, like long term, you want that meticulous. Sure. Like product is done when everything is perfect. So I guess the question is though, this is a guy who seems to very much value a decentralized ecosystem value the group iterating on things given by yeah. the fact that he makes fucking everything open source. So how did you convince him to come on board? You know, cause this was early on this is before he had anything. I mean, he's part of the team that put together, he was probably the key player to come in to build the damn thing. How do you convince him? Like, Hey, I know you're a big open source guy and whatever, but can you come build something privately with us as well and work with us? Because he seems to be 
gung-ho like fits in perfectly to the team and everyone loves them and and it's mutual and everything and, it, and it's also like to get there like to even get that opportunity kind of blows my mind that he said yeah fuck it i'm in well so he worked on he worked on early game engines so like he worked on unreal uh unreal engine he worked on unity like really 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 early yeah uh he knows, like, I'm pretty sure he knows David from Unity, the one of the founders of Unity, really well. Um, I think same thing with Tim Sweeney at Unreal. Um, so he he worked on like game engines super early. That's kind of why he had that like perfect background to be able to uh, fill in the gaps from what we knew. But um, he went from game engine stuff to well actually kind of stayed in there and was at Crytek uh for a little bit um and then he was just doing consulting um so when we reached out to him he was doing a lot of like robotics consulting um but it was all contract work so um yeah it, it I, th- I think it was like a little bit of timing, a little bit of like passion for the space. He, it's not like he was, I'm never going to work for some, that kind of like, sure. yeah. And I think he'd seen how much value this could have uh, because he was at the game engines in the early days. And I think in some ways sees a ton of similarities. Um Yeah. But I think mostly it was like, to what? Oh, oh, you guys have a ton. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got yeah, it. yeah. Um, I, I'd like to say most of it, though, was just how awesome our team is. That's great. I think it's how awesome our team is, how much fun it is to work on crazy new tech. Um, yeah. And then he gets paid pretty well. Yeah. Well... Oh. You know, you see guys like that come on board early, you know, when you guys were fucking still almost teenagers and work on this kind of stuff. And now you see where it already is a yeah. few years later and someone like that, a core part of the team and everything. It's that to me, when you're talking to investors, they got to be like, oh, damn, you yeah. know, like this is just this. This didn't happen overnight. These guys are plotting. It's. I mean that in a good way. They are they're drawn out. They see the vision here. They're executing on it in a very bite by bite basis. They're not over rushing things. They're, you know, there's a level of maturity that I guess also comes with having already run a successful company when you were young and learning there. You know, so the comfortability from people throwing around checks, not that they don't do that all the time, but when they're buying into the founders, they're like, Okay, these guys get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, it's funny. I get like pretty frequently. Oh, can tell, even just like talk talking to like attorneys. I think attorneys say it the most. But like, um, the common will just be thrown out there. I'll I'll say something like really light. I won't think anything of it, and the immediate response will be like, "Oh, got it. You've done this before." Yeah. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just said uh, I I don't even realize what I said, but. Um, I guess that helps. 
Yeah, you're, and you're like a laid back speaker too. It doesn't come from a, I know what I'm talking about. No, you know? no like you're yeah. just like a you're almost like too carefree sometimes. But yeah. you do it in a way that people are like, okay, he gets it. Oh, all right, yeah, well, yeah. And and it's it's it is it's disarming too. You know, yeah. you see a lot of founders out there who try to mimic and try to be Steve Jobs or something, which they're not. You know, or yeah, they try to they try to be a tough guy or say how it is or they have personality problems that lead them to not be able to communicate effectively. You know, it's a strength when someone knows what they are and they know what they're not and they're pretty they seem to be pretty comfortable in both of those worlds. Yeah. And so it, it I'm sure a lot of these investors see that and that's a part of the reason that they buy you and they buy the team and, and Baker and Riley come across the same way in their yeah. own way. There there's no one who's like gung-ho this is what it is fuck you so you know you, you sent an email that you shared with me that was a broad email and i asked you about this earlier today just like if it came up if if it could so i, I have it up behind you it would you mind actually reading it it's a it's in big tech big text but I, the reason i say that is because when i met you and then hanging out with you after we did the podcast and then also working on some stuff the thing that I've admired the most is you tend to have a very, on most things, a very long view in the room. And you've practiced at that, just like what I was just talking about. You've built this company in pieces over yeah. time. You're not, you don't rush to things. You haven't rushed to this Series A even. You know, it's not like you're not funded with some other things. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I can go get $25 million tomorrow. Let's do it. You know, you're willing to take that type of, slow step into it and i felt like i don't know if you're trying to do this but i felt like this email really captured how you look at the impact here and what you're trying to do and i thought it was it was a good moment for you so i i feel like if you could share this with some people they'd kind of they'd know you even better than they know you listening to a podcast like this yeah yeah i mean do you want me to read it or yeah. do you want to read it what do you want you tell me you read it all right i'll read it yeah. All right, SOAR team, following a big week of both adversity and great achievements, I wanted to share a quick note to all. I like to think everyone on the entire I like to think everyone on the entire team has gotten to know me at least a bit by now. Some might say I have completely irrational standards for everyone's personal performance, including my own, but also collectively as a whole. I'm a believer that in cases of true innovation, folks who tackle the impossible are not just innovating in matter, but also in mind. Definitions can be useful, so my definition of impossible is anything that has never been done and some, or most, believe will never be done. I believe that if we devote our time and energy to achieving things that lie within the realm of possibility, we sometimes find ourselves achieving things that are beyond our wildest dreams in a literal sense. Four-minute miles, interplanetary travel, absolute fucking moonshots. When we started this company, we aimed to shift the way fans interacted with athletes and entertainers. What began as a desire to create a more engaging experience for a niche group of people very quickly broadened into something that will have a lasting impact on every human being interacting with digital content throughout their daily lives. Why can't the digital and physical worlds coexist? Why must one travel to experience the desired atmosphere or level of intimacy when we can transform slash augment the space around them? How is the shift to 3D slash immersive happening so rapidly without the community having nailed content slash rapid distribution? Why are solutions so expensive today and yet still leave viewers feeling as though there's a decade of building needed before the medium is ready for mainstream? As we look at the journey ahead, there will undoubtedly be change, sometimes rapid. We'll be scaling our team, 
building critical infrastructure, supporting and listening to our customers, and maintaining slash accelerating our pace of innovation as to outperform some of the largest largest tech companies in the world. We will hit delays, we will have customers churn, and we will struggle at times. But through all the challenges, it's imperative we celebrate the wins. As it stands today, we've created the world's first time volumetric streaming pipeline. We're empowering individuals, agencies, startups, and large companies to create content in an entirely new medium, something that, for many, felt completely inaccessible or unsustainable for years. In many ways, we're kickstarting a fundamental shift in communication, the way we connect with humans. A friend shed light on this recently as he went through the Epcot ride in Disney. The entire ride centers around the evolution of communication, from cave writings to the printing press, radio, television, the first computer, etc., in his words, not mine, quote, right now the ride stops when Bill Gates creates one of the first personal computers. There's no doubt in my mind the SOAR team could be holding the key to the next room, volumetric, unquote. I wake up each morning excited to step into battle with all of you and look forward to continuing to restructure and reshape the world's expectation from impossibility to inevitability. Cheers, Anthony. I think that when you hear that, first of all, most of that is very simply written, which is great. So an idiot like me can read that and understand what you're getting at. Secondly, that sh- like if I'm an investor reading that, not even just a normal person, I think I get you. I think I understand what you're in this for. I think that in a world where people's cynicism – I don't know if that's a word, but we'll go with it – can devolve very quickly into people are just looking to create something new to get their payday – I think you read something like that and you're like, no, this guy, this guy's a little crazy. That's good. You know, he's like, he wants to do some cool shit as you would say. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. That's like, um, that's one of the first like all team emails that I've sent like that. Um, and I think just with how chaotic everything has been, um, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that that got across, right? Like we're all here for the same reason. Um, that's why I'm here. That's why I wake up and do what I do. That's why, um, yeah, that, that's, that's like the fire. Um, it's the today, but it's also, uh, the tomorrow and what tomorrow can be. Um, I, I also think across the board, we are extremely critical, like really, really fucking critical. Um, I'm, I can be pretty bad at this, right? Like, uh, we'll set sky high expectations and if we fall a little bit short, it's still a huge fucking win, but it might not feel like a win because everybody's looking at it saying, fuck. We didn't, we didn't 3X this month. That's, that's like a chaotic month. That's huge. Uh, either way, it's a win, right? Um, somebody, one of the guys on our team sent me this yesterday and I kind of wrote uh, something to the tune of it. Uh, but his response to that email was... On the mug, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, on the, on the mug. So tossing rocks at the moon... That what what he was saying um, in response to that email was the way he looks at it, and I completely agree. We're trying to throw a rock 
at Mars. Mm. If we hit the moon, it's still throwing a rock at the moon when nobody else can get the rock off the fucking ground. Yeah. Do we want to hit Mars? Yeah. If you hit the moon, you still won. Or are winning. Right? Yeah. I think that's like a good way to look at it. And uh, especially for everybody on our team, I uh, want to make sure that um, that doesn't get lost in any of the craziness. Bro, it's been it's been really cool. You know, you just came in as a podcast guest to start. And the cool thing about this podcast is then usually... I develop really good friendships with the people I don't know before they come in here, but also getting a chance to work with you guys a little bit on some projects and, and be a little bit boots on the ground as far as compared to the average idiot (laughs) to see some of the stuff you're doing has been pretty unreal. It's exciting for me that all three of you are rolling through here on a rolling basis. I like that. I like that repetition as you're building here because people get to see like when I look at my podcast, even though it doesn't have anywhere near the, fucking you know consequences that this stuff does i look at it in a similar way to which you approach stuff which is i'm not thinking about the people who are listening to this the day it comes out i am thinking about them i want it to look great and be a perfect product but i'm really thinking about the people who listen to this 10 years from now yeah how's this time capsule gonna look this is not just some current event you know you and me talking about what's going on in the world though those are cool too as time capsules to see what people were thinking this is like I'm getting you guys along the process. And I've said that before, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing to me. And I, I really appreciate you allowing it to happen. And, and Riley and, and Baker as well to, to share this kind of thing. But I specifically wanted to bring you in for what will be the one-year anniversary episode of starting this podcast. So this is going to come out on September 15th, which will be a year to the day since I launched because – For me also to kind of track the timeline of things, I already mentioned today that the podcast we did was a big turning point, and it was. But also, you know, to get this kind of content where it's like, yo, there's a founder on the cutting edge of something right now trying to do some crazy shit that's going to have a lot of consequences regardless of who ends up taking it to, to the mainstream. It's like, I think there's a lot of value in people experiencing that like they're sitting at the table here with us. And the final point would be the whole point of a medium like this where we just talk and you can't really fake it. It's fucking three hours is to give people a dose of like they're talking with their friends in a world where we're moving farther and farther away from humanity. Something like this sitting in somebody's ear to take up three hours of their day while they're going about things makes them feel more connected to people because as I said they feel like they're sitting here with us they feel like they're a part of the conversation maybe they're just not saying anything and that's that's an exciting part of this entire podcast to me like everything that's happened so far because the world is zigging and we're finding a way to zag here and we're doing something that not a lot of people at least in this medium are doing I don't see a lot of long form conversations with whoever the fuck Um, so that's special to me, but it's also not possible without the people who come from all different perspectives coming on here and sharing them and being vulnerable about it. And you've now done it twice, which is great, and it's on something this serious. And so that's why, to me, I wanted to have this make sense as the 
and it, it was a no-brainer to, to be the one year. It's kind of like a little bit of the story of the podcast so far. So thank you for doing it. Of course. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's been a blast, and um, I think we'll see some pretty crazy progression on both sides. Okay. Uh, rapidly. Next time you're in here, yep. maybe like six months from now, something like that, I want to be able to show some of these goddamn products, too. That we've been capturing. Sounds Wait, good to me. That you've been capturing. Yeah, yeah. But some of the ones I know about and stuff. Well, so, oh yeah, we eat too. There's yeah. A of, it'll be really cool to announce one from this one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that one's gonna be good. That one's gonna be good. But I want, yeah. I want to, I want to do it. And I want to be able to show people on the screen too, if we can. I don't know if we'll be that far, but at least be able to say like, all right, we did this capture. Here's what to look for or whatever. Yeah, I think that'll be really cool for people. Cool. Sounds good. All right, brother. All right, man. Thanks, dude. Of course. Everybody, a pleasure. Everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me.